This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, goal! Oh, hey, it's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise, here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, I'm fired up today because this is something that excites me. And first, just let me tell you, I'll give you just kind of lead you into where I'm going here. And, and, and it's because of like numbers like Zach Geloff. Did you know? That Zach Geloff has a seven-game hitting streak. He's hitting 360, two home runs. We get all that. Since making his Major League debut on July 4th, Geloff's 13 steals are tied for for 15th in Major League Baseball. His 141 weighted, weighted runs created plus is 32nd in the game. If you combine AAA and the big leagues, 25 homers, 35 stolen bases, and 129 games. They, he was being compared earlier today on MLB Network against some of the guys that have come up July, August, and have a little bit, basically half a season or so. Zach Geloff, by far, at 23 years old, is better than all the guys that they, he was being compared to. Do you or do you not like OPS Plus? Uh, yes. OPS Plus, 100 and above. The more above 100... 100 is your bottom level. Anything under 100 means you're not any good. Anything above, now we're talking. He is at a 145 OPS plus. That means you take his on base. That means you take his slugging. And you're going to look at ballpark factors, other players, the, the time that he's playing in right now. OPS plus, he's at 145. That's massive. Yeah, that's pretty good one. For, for a player that's just come up and he's learning the league and he's so young, 145? And you look like, for context, like I was looking earlier, Freddie Freeman and Matt Olson, they're at like 162 and 160-ish right in there because it was the whole thing we, you and I were talking that's about. That's balling. Yeah, that's really like good. You get up plus one, plus like 170 plus, you're now getting into super, super Barry territory. Like what it, I mean, Barry got up to over 200, but you get up over 170, 180, you're you're beyond you're your star of stars. Like right now, uh, Mookie Betts is at 166, and I'm going to pull up. Uh, Bonds got to over 200, right? Uh, let me pull up Barry Bonds. I was going to say I could look and see what. Uh, Just to kind of give you an idea, Super Barry PEDs. It's the greatest player we've ever seen with our own eyes. No question was Barry Bonds when he was with the Giants, and he's juicing. He, the year that he hit in 2002 when he hit 370. That was the year after he hit 73 home runs. His, OP, his OPS plus was not that great. It was only 268. <laughs> 
It was actually up from that's from, 100 points higher than Mookie Betts yeah. right now. It was actually up from the year he had 73 home runs. All right, he had 73 home runs. What was his OPS plus? 259. <laughs> Mookie Betts is. I don't know. I mean, I, who's the favorite? I don't know. MGM's been going back and forth on who's the favorite for the MVP between him and Ronald Acuna Jr. Both guys deserving. It's like 1A, 1B, however you want to see it. The fact that Super Barry, as great of a year as Mookie Betts has had, Super Barry was 100 points higher than that. <laughs> like right now, uh, Shohei Otani, for when he played, his is 184. Yeah, not even sniffing Superberry. Yeah, I, uh, I thought Super. I knew Superberry was over two hundred. I didn't realize it was that high. Let's see. Let's just real quick. Let's see what Aaron Judge's was last year when he hit the sixty-two home runs. Not even close to Bonds. Well, I'm just looking if it's even going to be higher than what uh, Shohei Otani has this Can year. Can you imagine if Bonds pitched too, like Shohei Otani, what Bonds' numbers would be? Well, bon, uh, obviously OPS plus would not matter on on pitching, but can you imagine what Bonds' WAR would be if if Bonds made twenty-five starts in a year? Oh, yeah. yeah. And you threw in what yeah. he did offensively. Yeah. Uh, Bonds of War could be what, like 25, 30 in a season? It'd be pretty high, yeah. Uh, Aaron Judge's OPS plus last year was 211. Not even sniffing <laughs> Super Barry it's still. Even, it's not even sniffing the year that he had ah, the, the, unbelievable. the 73 homers. All right, I wanted to bring this up because it's a – I have not – I've not been able to read it yet. Joel Sherman, who is the white whale for Commander Cody and guest. We've had everybody. If you've worked and have any – prominent role at MLB Network, you have been on this program. Like, we, we make sure we get their notes every day. We, we got everything they got. Joel Sherman has been from the New York Post, who I like a lot. I, I like reading him. Uh, I think he's, a, he's turned into a very good broadcaster. You know that he, he is not what we're seeing in today's media, where today's media is just garbage. From what I grew up as a basically a journalism major, what we have today, the fact that the old joke that we used to have, don't let facts get in the way of a good story, that's the way the media is now. Everything's clickbait. Everything is we're trying to get numbers. You don't have to be factual. Even if you're not factual, you don't even have to apologize. You're not going to lose your job. I mean, the media, they're, they're giving you what you want to hear on a daily basis. Local news, national news, sports, politics, it's disgusting. I had a professor by the name of Bob Rucker, look it up. He's one of the original anchors of CNN. Back when CNN was all about 24-7 news and giving you the best news coverage, I was so fortunate to have him as an instructor and what we learned from him about being right about being credible. I know I joke and I'm sarcastic and all that, but I'm not giving you false info. Now, there's a difference between when you're reporting and giving opinion, but I'm not going to give you false info to try and boost my ratings. You're seeing that so much. It's disgusting. Joel Sherman is one of the guys that we still have who is an old journalist at heart. So I respect him. And I haven't read the article, but they talked about it on MLB Network today. A quote from an executive, and then I will get into a guy by the name of Bob Costas. Has anybody heard of Bob Costas? Pretty well-known. Slow broadcast. Feldman, you ever heard of Bob Costas? He's this some guy from St. Louis. He's the Olympics guy, right? Or was. Did he do Olympics? Did he, 
Yeah. <laughs> I remember him doing like Syracuse football. Did he do anything big? All right, here is the quote from the article in the New York Post. The quote, the game is changing with the new rules. Everyone is trying to get younger and more athletic. Here is the one thing I can guarantee. You are not getting younger and more athletic in free agency. And it got me thinking on the way up. And that it makes me happy, and it gives me hope. What gives me hope is that we are now starting to come out of the money ball era. I'm saying that on an A's show in the A's treehouse. I'm saying it to you. We are coming out of the money ball era, finally. It served its purpose. It changed the game. But now we are coming out of it because in the end, it wasn't healthy. It was a way, and what always bothers me, and Dave Feldman lived it just like I lived it, for all of us who worked around it, we have heard a lot of people talk about what teams with money trying to do money ball. Remember, Billy Bean did this out of necessity. Billy Bean did everything he did because he had to. It's all that he had. He had to try something different. That's why I always say Billy Bean is the Jack Sparrow, if you have followed the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He's the Jack Sparrow of baseball. He's the pirate. He's not always going to win. And he's not always going to lose, but in the end, he's going to come out on top at the end of the movie. And he's never going to be king. He's never going to be ruler, but he's Jack Sparrow. He's the star. Billy Bean was the pirate. He didn't want to be. He had to be. And then now all these teams and all these years and these kids, they read the book, they they saw the movie, they went to college, they went to Ivy League, they went to MIT, they went to Stanford, and they all went, hey, nerds in baseball, we can, be, we can be nerds in baseball and make a living and we can have power and we can make moves and we can do all this. We can be, look, Billy Bean did it. Even though Billy Bean wasn't a nerd, he was a former player. And the only reason why I use the word nerd is because that's what, you know, Saris calls himself and his brethren the nerds of baseball. But Billy Bean had to do it. And now everybody wanted it because that's what we want in business. What do we want in business? We want to be highly productive and make as much money as possible. I can tell you that in the business that I am, the restaurant business. I want to sell as much food as I possibly can and pay the very least amount I have for the food to then serve to the customers. I want to keep my employment down. I don't want to pay employees all my profits. I want to keep everything down and sell as much so my brother and I make as much as we possibly can. That's business. I want to make as much money as I possibly can. That's why you get into business. And sometimes I see stuff and hear stuff, and especially stuff about this organization, like, yeah, welcome to business. I'm trying to make as much money as I possibly can. That's the name of the game, whether it's baseball, whether it's football, whether it's tech, whether it's banking, whether it's construction, whether it's real estate, you name it. Any kind of business, everybody is trying to make as much money as they possibly can without giving it away. But I have hope. Because it went too far. It's gone completely too far. I have hope. We are coming out of the Moneyball era. And that baseball was smart. Baseball, we just got sent this whole email about time of games. You realize the average NBA game is two hours and 16 minutes? 
Two hours and 16 minutes. I know when I go to a game, I get my seat, I watch the biggest, most, most athletic athletes on the planet. Running, jumping, threes, dunks, pointing into the stands. They're shooting T-shirts, cheerleaders everywhere, loud music. It's a party. Every NBA game, team's good or bad, they're shooting stuff into the stands. Kids are happy. They're giving away pizzas to sections. It's entertainment, but it's two hours and 16 minutes. By the way, we're in the seventh inning. If this was an NBA game, people are in their cars and already going home. We're still slugging it out here. Thank God for the new, new rules of time. We were slugging it out for three hours and 40 minutes. By the way, NBA game, game's over. You're already home and asleep getting ready for work the next day. But getting back to getting out of the money ball era, it served its purpose. But now what are we learning? You better be athletic. You better be getting younger. And Bob Costas said this because Joel Sherman said, listen, for the New York Post, I watch a lot of Yankees and I watch a lot of Mets. And since I watch a lot of Yankees, I'm watching the Orioles and the Yankees. Just two years ago, the Orioles were bad. And don't tell me this was all the Orioles tanking and drafting because you know what? We all could have had Gunnar Henderson. Gunnar Henderson is their best player. Adley Rushman, yes, leader, rock, but their best physical athlete player is Gunnar Henderson. We could have had him. We didn't take him, Cody. Why? Because we took Logan Davidson. Because we took Logan Davidson out of Clemson. So whenever we get into this Astros and Cubs and now Orioles about tanking led the way, you always can go, wait a minute. I could have had that guy. There's always, but you know, I mean, there, there's certain, like Adley Rushman was 1-1. You're not getting that guy. But other guys that they had, Santander was an, was an Indians kid. Yeah. Right? You can go through their lineup. Cedric Mullins, you go through their lineup. I mean, we could have had Gunnar Henderson. He could be, I mean, the guy can play all over the diamond, super athletic. He's got power. He's got everything you want in a player. We could have had him, but no, we took Logan Davidson, who's still sitting in AAA. But what Joel Sherman said watching the Yankees, he goes, you can tell one team's playing a different game. Yankees are old. They're slow. Even the new guys they bring up aren't super athletic. Because all they've cared about, and we've learned from Eno Saris, our national baseball columnist, everything is about harder. Throw harder, hit harder. That's all they care about. They want to know how hard you're hitting the baseball. They want to know about exit velocities. They want to know about barrel rates, barrel this, barrel that, launch angle, pitchers, velocity, velocity, velocity. And you know what? Bob Costas said, problem with the New York Yankees. This is Bob Costas. He said, they're not playing the modern-day game. And I went, boom. The modern-day game was Moneyball. But here we are in 2023, about to go to 2024, an executive, a big-name executive is saying, listen, you want to get younger, you want to get athletic, and you want to compete today, don't go to free agency because you're just getting older and more expensive, and you're getting stuck with contracts. We are coming out of the money ball era, and now it's about athletes again. And that's what makes us all love our great game. Money ball served its purpose, but right now the game is changing. Now what we're going to call modern-day baseball, because what was money ball? Walk, walk, home run, strikeout. Eh, we don't care about strikeouts. Walk, walk, home run. Eh, we don't care about strikeouts. They didn't care about strikeouts. Does it matter if I ground out or strike out or blah, blah, blah? We just walk home run, walk home run. 
you play the walk home run three true outcome game, you're now not modern day baseball. You're Moneyball era baseball, and we're getting out of that. You want to compete? Because look at our teams. We got swallowed up like a goldfish in postseason. Oh, but look during the regular season, what did we do? We hit home runs and we walked. 2012, no team in baseball hit more home runs than the Oakland Athletics from June 5th on. We had the most home runs and the best record. Chase down, chase down the uh, Texas Rangers. Then we didn't hit in the in playoffs in 12. We didn't hit in 13. And God knows 14 was a disaster with the wild card. What did we do in 18 and 19 in the wild card? Nothing. 2020, odd year. Finally beat the Chicago White Sox, but then lost to the Houston Astros in the playoffs who were an under 500 team in the 60-game schedule. We looked small. During the regular season, hitting home runs, we're walking, taking pitches and hitting home runs. We look under Bob Melvin, we looked like a formidable bunch. But we got in the postseason, swallowed up. You've got to get younger and athletic, and you've got to do a lot of things right Building a team that can't play defense, that just walks and hits home runs, that's not modern-day baseball. Now, I sent this article out to a lot of different people for a reason. And how you responded to that article tells me a lot about you, right? So if, if you're a Giants hater, you'll read it that way. If you're somebody like Amelia Schimmel who we've had this debate over starting pitchers, she just reads it and she says, see, Tom Verducci said wins aren't the most important thing for pitchers. So that means you don't see the forest fruit through the trees. So when I send this out, how you responded tells me a lot about you. Why? Because it's a, your perception of baseball. Kind of tells you, yeah. what kind of thinker are you? Are you a big thinker, small thinker? Are you just an angry troll? How, how do you – because this article, I could take the Giants out of it. And this has not I'm – not, I'm not ripping the Giants whatsoever. This has – and I and – I, Whoa, what's, what's going a, on here? I'm a notorious <laughs> Giants troll. But, no, this is this literally I – could, I could X out the Giants and put another team in there. This has nothing to do with the Giants. Even though this article says it's about the Giants – this actually is not about the Giants. This is actually about a lot of, it's about hiring a 37-year-old Jeff Greenberg to already work with a young guy who was also uh, Scott Harris, who's now president of baseball operations. And you're like, who's Scott Harris? Scott Harris was the nobody GM of the San Francisco Giants that didn't do anything of any note and got hired by the from Detroit they got Detroit hired him from the Giants. No one's ever heard of this guy. Where did he come from Chicago? He was the Cubs guy, yeah. Okay, so nobody knows who Scott Harris is. Scott Harris literally could walk on this field today, and no one would have a clue who the hell he is. And he's the president of baseball operations for the, for the Tigers. And they've now hired Jeff Greenberg, who's 37, who you said was working for a hockey team? But associate GM of the Chicago Blackhawks. So an associate GM of a hockey team just got hired as a GM of a baseball team. What the hell is going on? Read Tom Verducci's article, and it's there's only, there's only one thing that really matters in this article. It's going to tell you about how the Giants and, you know, how they want to play their – it's their version of Moneyball. 
is that the, if I gave you a Cliff Notes version, it's basically their version of Moneyball. That and, they, that and then they use an opener a lot. That's the new version of Moneyball. Yeah. Well, the Moneyball, they use starting pitchers. I said new yeah. version of Moneyball. We're trying to do it differently. We're trying to tell you how smart we are. We're trying to take our knowledge and put it on the baseball field, and our knowledge is how we're going to decide how our players play. It's like a game of chess. That's how we're going to play baseball. Say it with me. Do you get it, Cody? It's like the new version of Moneyball. Yes. Okay, so you get it. Yeah. So that's what they're doing. It's not working. But the number one thing in this article, it says point blank, but if this is the future of baseball, I want no part of it. Tom Verducci, longtime writer for Sports Illustrated, who now is on baseball games as a color guy and also does studio work for MLB Network. We've had him on the program here. He's phenomenal at what he's done. He's been doing, he's been one of the tots for a long time. Says once again, if this is the future of baseball, I want no part of it because it's boring. The other thing that is probably the second most important part is as the Giants now, because this was written and it talked about how the games in Arizona that they were going to have were big. They lost both the games. They used starting pitchers, real starting pitchers for those two games, lost both. Giants are in trouble, probably not going to make the playoffs. But they are officially 500 for now two seasons since they won 107. They are 500. So that's not bad. That means you've won as much as you've lost. Mediocre. But you're not losers. No, you're not winners. As Tom Cable, who once said, famously, after the Raiders went 8-8, eight and eight, what did he say? We're not losers anymore. We're not losers anymore. We're 8-8. Eight and eight. <laughs> I maybe need to stop all these Raider references. It's like I need to reboot myself. But here's the thing, folks. They're down 26% with tickets. Now, if my business is down, my business is selling food. If my business is down 26%, I'm calling my brother, and I'm flipping out. Like, I'm flying, you know, whether it's to Walnut Creek, chicken pie shop at Walnut Creek, or I'm flying home to San Diego, to the San Diego chicken pie shop, and alarm bells are going, and I'm freaking out. How are we selling 20, 26% of our business of sales of food when you're a restaurant or your bar or whatever you're selling, you're down 26%? You got problems. You got major problems. Now, obviously, the A's, we have those issues, but our issues, we're different. The Giants, I mean, I, we can go over that, but we're talking about the Giants who are not trying to move out of town. We're, we're talking about the Giants who have their new ballpark. We're talking about the Giants who, I, I, I guess we're starting to look at it. Those three World Series were a long time ago. They, they've had one playoff Series in nine years? Uh, Would my yes. math be right? They, they had a wild card. No, they they played against the Cubs, too, too. Because they had that wild card win against the Mets, I think, and then they played the Cubs and they lost. The year the Cubs won the World Series. 
But that wouldn't have been a series against the Cubs. That would have been a game. Uh, well, I thought they played a wild card game, and then they they, then they end up playing a series. Let me ch- let me double check for you. To make so sure. it's one or two series in nine yeah. years. I know it's one, right? Because they played the Dodgers in 01. In 2021, yeah. They played the Dodgers. So I know that one. Since 2024, how many times have they been to the playoffs? Uh, let me check. I'm looking right now. 2016 Giants went 87 and 75. They won the wild card game versus the Mets, and then they lost. So tw- they essentially played in two series. In. So they play in two series yeah. then. Okay. And you got those three World Series, which fans tell you, I just win one World Series, that's all I want. That's all I want in my life is to win the one World Series and go to the parade and do all of that. That's what fans tell you, right? Well, then they did it a second time. Then they did it a third time. What happened? All you ever wanted was to win a World Series. All you need is a new building, and you need a new. You need this, you need that. Your business is down, selling tickets 26%, and it's not like you have gone in the tank. You're in last place. You're, you're at least 500. Yeah, and that's two years after winning 107. I know a lot of people are going to say a lot of, well, they don't sign stars, and, you know, you know the, the world, the, the barrier has changed since COVID, blah, 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 you know, all that. But if you're down 26%, that's not good. 20%, 26%. Are the Padres tickets down, and we're, we're still in California? Or the, uh, Padres yeah. are having their biggest attendance, well over 3 million, their biggest of all time. Dodgers um, will no, be going over 3 million. They've already gone over 3. Dodgers are the king of attendance. Since the Dodgers have moved west, 1958. Yeah. Since the Dodgers have moved west, no one has had better attendance than the Los Angeles. No, more people have attended games, Chavez Ravine, Dodger Stadium, beautiful Dodger Stadium. No one even compares. Now they may show up late and leave early, <laughs> but no one shows up more than Dodger fans. Yeah, I mean, the Angels, I'm, uh, the Angels. Uh, the Angels will be well over 2 million. Yeah, and their attendance will be in. So, but the Giants are down, and I don't. It's just it's a bad look, and you know it, even. Well, how much is it? I because we kind of did our own internal poll with our friends, and we're talking about these guys. I mean, my guy, my guys are all baseball guys. These are guys all played either professionally and college or just college, but they're bad. Some of them coached. I mean, they're they all can't stand it. My my buddies who are Giants fans absolutely hate the way they play. They can't stand it. They say it is a tough watch. How much of it is a tough watch? Because it can't be they've gone in the tank and they're losing because they haven't gone in the tank. But it just, looking at this article, I mean, could this be the Boston Red Sox? Could this be a lot of teams? The way they play, the way they micromanage, the way they, they have no feel. They, I mean, I'll never forget when the A's were over there playing against the Giants this year, and it was – Whoever was pitching had pitched two and two-thirds, scoreless baseball, and Gabe Kapler came out to make the move to pitch against Tony Kemp. Matchups. You're matching up in the third inning against Tony Kemp? In July. In July? Moronic. That is no feel. That's more. We win every out. We and I understand, and they try. And it sounds good. We win every. We it's for every game. It's for every out. It's for every. That's like, dude, you're you're out of you're out of your mind. Like, I, that is somebody that has no feel, and I don't want them managing. It's my business. You're, you, the number one part of your business is the players at the big league level. There's a lot of baseball is a funky business because you've got 
minor league system, minor league players. You got all this stuff. But the main part of your business is the players on the field at the big league level. And if that's the way you're thinking, and as Tom Verducci says, if this is the future of baseball, I want no part of it. Isn't it amazing that the Giants, forever Giant, they finally win the World Series, all that kind of stuff. All this, everything you have ever wanted as a Giants fan, you have gotten. You got to have the Bonds years. The Bonds years led to Superberry years. That led to the new ballpark. That led to the home run record. That led to three World Series. You got everything you could have. You got a franchise player in Buster Posey. You got everything you possibly could have wanted as a Giants fan. And now you are a micromanaged data machine, and you're down 26% in attendance. And you're 500 for two years after winning 107 games. But that's not bad. No, no. You, you're just... you have me 500. I mean, I can give you a – how many games are we under five? – we're 60 games under 500. I'd rather be 500 than 60 games under 500. I mean, you're making 500 sound like they're – they're, oh, I know. they're in the playoff race. And, they, and, and the, a lot of the moves that they, the signings they made, like Conforto and Hanniger, like they just didn't pan out. Like they were trying to play money, they were doing money ball instead of signing guys. And Hanniger couldn't stay healthy. Conforto, shocker, Conforto missed the entire year last year. Wait for it. He was injured this year. And just imagine if they would have actually signed Carlos Correa, who is hurt right now. He's, there's even like a tear of the plantar, Plan, fa- plantar fasciitis yeah, yeah. or whatever, which they say if you tear it completely, that's better, which he has. I'm not going to try and play a doctor today on Ace Cast Live. Just today. But, yeah, I mean, according to the Giants, if he – well, I should say if he was signed with the Giants, he'd have tw- – you've had nothing but injuries this year with Carlos Correa. You'd have 12 more years on top of this. Yeah. Speaking of the Twins, they can clinch the AI Central tonight. Brewers with the win today. Their magic number is two. Yeah, so I believe if uh, Cleveland loses and Detroit loses, they clinch the division – and they're trying to snap the uh, one of the worst playoff streaks I've ever seen, 18 straight losses in the playoffs. Well, obviously, you know who's sitting next to my left here. He is somebody that means so much to this organization. Stephen Vogt now with the Seattle Mariners. Just, you know, last time, last couple times we talked in person, I felt like I was Barbara Walters, and we were having these super emotional, like you had tears. All of a sudden, I started choking up because it was very emotional. It's now nice just to have a regular conversation. How are you? I'm doing great. Obviously, it's uh, it's good to see you. Good to be back in Oakland. Uh, every time I come back here, it's just it's home. It feels like home. So I'm doing great. It's been a great season, uh, great first year coaching, um, really enjoying it, really uh, really learning a lot and, and having a blast doing it. So Well, you think about the transition in careers, going from a player to a coach, and, and I think about your career – as somebody who cared so much and you prepared not only for yourself, but you prepared for the pitching staff and you were, you're very courteous and you cared a lot about your, your teammates. What's it like now as a coach? So you got to care about everybody. Yeah. It's, it, it's honestly not all that different from the last couple of years I was playing, you know, when you're a backup catcher, your job is yes, to be ready to play when it's your, your day to play, but it's also your, your job is to make sure that all the pitchers are getting what they need. Your teammates are getting what you need. The starting catcher is getting what he needs. Like you really are kind of a, especially as an older backup catcher, a little bit of a player coach. And no doubt. So a lot of what the things I've been doing or what I'm doing now, it's just I don't have to hit anymore, thank <laughs> goodness. Uh, you know, so for me, it's um, it's been a very smooth transition, and Scott Service and the rest of the staff has really done a great job of helping me uh, learn very quickly. What is the biggest difference going from playing to coaching? There's got to be something that's dramatically different. 
you have zero control over the outcome of the game as a coach. You can prepare, you can help them uh, have all the information they need, give them all the tools that you or resources you have to be able to enable them to go do the best of their ability that night. But at the end of the day, you can't do it. When you're a player, yeah, you can't always, you're not always the one hitting, but when it is your turn, it's within your control to go get the job done. And so as a coach, you literally have no control over the outcome of the game other than in equipping every player with all of the information and, and advice that you can. And you're still living and dying with all these <laughs> losses and wins and everything. Yeah, absolutely. it's crazy. Yeah. You know, when, when you look at going forward for you, what have you learned where you go, man, I didn't realize the manager does this because you were so much involved. And like you said, it's almost like you were like a player manager at time. But what what have you learned from coaching, looking at the manager? I don't know. You're now the quality control yeah. coach. Like, what have you learned that you didn't know? The biggest thing that I is how many people are working behind the scenes to give the 26 guys on the roster everything they need, right? Um, you always know that there's a lot of people that are working for you, but the amount of conversations, the amount of meetings, the amount of time that's put into each individual guy and the plan that the staff, the trainers, the strength coach, the, the analytics team, how many people and how many hours of the day go into each individual to get them to be at their best? I had no clue <laughs> how many people were yeah. working for me to be at my best and how many people I don't think all of us know. No. I don't think the media no. knows. I don't think the fans know. No, it, it really is. There are so many people working behind the scenes to get the best for and out of every player. And that's something that I was punched in the face with at spring training with all the meetings and how many people were in the room. It was uh, really cool to see how many people care about each individual guy. How much do you think about that last game? <laughs> uh, I'd be lying if I said not multiple <laughs> times a week. I mean, obviously coming back, I haven't taken yeah. my eyes off the Budweiser Terrace out there when yeah. the ball hit. So um, I, it was such a magical day. Um, again, I you know I still keep in touch with a lot of people over on the Oakland side, and um, just how much the organization celebrated my family and me, and um, that last day will forever be something that. I remember, you know, I remember when Cots told me they were going to do it. And I said, you guys don't have to do that. That's fine. And he goes, no, we're going to. And um, something I would have never asked for, obviously, but um, just felt so honored to have my teammates and all my family and, and the organization do that. You literally couldn't write a better script. It was almost like a Disney movie to an end of somebody's career. And we actually talked about this yesterday with Dallas Braden right here on Ace Cast Live about your very last day. You're still down there blocking balls. You're still doing that whole thing. You didn't have to do that. How much do you think that rubs off on showing the next generation that, you know what, to the very end, to the very last day, you give it everything you got? Yeah, I mean, I hope it rubs off a lot, right? Uh, that's the way I was raised through the game is every day you come out here, whether it's the last day of spring training, the last day of the season, the first day of the season, you never know which rep it's going to click. You never know which yeah. swing it's going to click. You never know any of that. You have to put in your work every single day because that's part of your job, one. But two, it's just the right way to go about your business. This game's too hard, um, you know, and, and the skill goes away if you don't work on it. And that was one of the things that I really prided myself on was making sure I did my job every single day, no matter what it was. Well, it was so great just being a part of so much of your career. I don't know if you remember this, but I walked down that hallway with you after you got back from the All-Star game. 
And we did an interview after that. And then, of course, you left. You come back. And the, those interviews that we did those final days and seeing your children and knowing that they'll remember this and you'll have it for the rest of your life. Just thank you for allowing us here all these years to be a part of your journey, because I think no matter what, I know we got these Hall of Famers up here. But everybody's going to remember you as truly one of the great Oakland A's. Well, it really means a lot. And I know um, for me, it, it was never, never about accolades. It was never about things. It was competing every day and giving 100% of me to my teammates, to the organization, and to everybody. And my wife, Alyssa, and I, you know, we speak so fondly of Oakland. It will always be home. We'll always, part of us will always be in Oakland A, no matter where I go to work. Um, and it's because of you guys telling the stories and, and getting those out. Um, I think just there's there's friends and there's people that will be a part of our life forever because of our time here in Oakland and we, we're super thankful for it. The great Stephen Vogt right here on A's Cast Live. This is a great time to bring on Dallas Braden. We know A's legend, what he did in his career, what he's doing now uh, with the Oakland Athletics on NBC Sports California. But I want to take him back and I think why it's so important to have you on today is because you remember what it was like, what these guys are going through. You even mentioned it the other day about we all remember that horrific end of the Bob Guerin era in Baltimore. Bob Melvin shows up in Chicago. He did, He's like looking at the back of guys' jerseys on the flight home. He's told the story. He was looking at the media guide to figure out. You remember what it was like, what these guys are going through, but this is the process and I keep talking about how these series like we're having now are great for the young players to learn. And there's no better way to learn if you're a young player and you have the opportunity than trial by fire because you know you're going to get an opportunity tomorrow, or at least you'd like to think so, right? And if you're in that mix, what you do is you use those teams across the diamond as the measuring stick, a barometer of sorts of where you're at you know, individually, and you might go across the diamond. If I'm a second baseman, what does the guy at second base look like? What does his game look like? How do I match up against that? Where does he match up in the pantheon of second baseman in baseball? And how do I stack up? What do his at-bats look like? Where is he at defensively? Is he a guy that's got a high baseball IQ? And you start to take stock of where your game is at, where you'd like it to be, again, by taking a look yeah. across the other diamond. But now you're learning how to compete against guys that are doing it at the highest level. How do you win those matchups? You know, I was just talking to to Rick Riz's uh, great radio guy for the Seattle Mariners, and we were talking about guys getting comfortable and what that looks like. And there's a lot of there's a lot of failure that has to occur, I think, whether it's internally or outwardly. You see it with numbers where guys start to realize they're going to have to make those adjustments. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to play the game a little differently. And having these competitive series to compete in are a great way to identify what it is you think you're doing well that you might not actually be doing well and maybe some things that you are doing well. But when you're playing elite competition and you're playing against a team like the Seattle Mariners who are where they're at right now in their season and hopefully October bound they're playing each and every game and they're taking each and every pitch and each and every at bat like it's game seven implications and I think it should be that way because of what they want to achieve but no better environment to learn in for a young player than that right there you know a story that I bring up all the time is back when I was covering the Warriors it was at the end of Kobe Bryant's career 
And when he came out to shoot before the game, it was like 40 minutes, and he worked. I mean, he had the lather going. He took every possible shot he possibly could take, knowing that also he probably lifted at 5 a.m. in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking for, like, Warrior players to look at that as an all-time great going. He's at the end of the career. He could go out there, shoot it. He worked and worked and worked. So talk also about what you did it just wasn't watching guys during the game, right? It was watching BP. It was watching, like, all these different things. Well, I just – you know, it's – wow, Tony, that's incredible that you that you asked that because I just had a great conversation with Perry Hill, defensive wizard, infield guru, coach for the Seattle Mariners. And he came up to me and said, hey, Mr. Braden, I just wanted to take the time to officially introduce myself. We've squared up against each other across the diamond for many years. He said, I love everything about you. I love the game when you were on the mound. You know, that, that mentality. He said, I love what you got going in the broadcast booth now. You know, just it's, it's great to meet you. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, this is a – I know who Barry Hill is. I don't know if you do. <laughs> like, I, I know who Barry – if you don't know who Barry – you need to look it up. Check out you. You need to look it up because the dude is an absolute gem. So when when those conversations are had with individuals like that, that's that's where you're kind of reminded of of where you've come from, what you've what you've done. And for him to for him to say that it kind of it just it warmed my heart because I was the guy who, yeah, on the last day of the season, you're still getting the lift in on the last day of the season. You're still playing catch. Why? Because I'm here at the ballpark. This is what I'm supposed to do. And when you watch, look, I mean, I'll I'll go no further than Stephen Vogt. I took a video of Stephen Vogt last year. Yeah. The last day of the season. Career over. The last day of the season. He's retiring. He knows he's retiring. You and I knew he was retiring. Yeah. Everybody knew that Stephen Vogt was never going to play another game of competitive baseball in his life. And what was Stephen Vogt doing before the game on the last day he would ever put a pair of baseball spikes on? Blocking baseballs. He's not going in the game, Townie. <laughs> Voter, you're not going to grab a uh, bat, uh. bud. What are you doing? Tuck it in. It's been a good run. Y'all tuck it in right after I wear 100 baseballs off my chest on the last day I'll ever step foot on the field as a competitor. Can't Enough teach said. it. No. And that's why I always marvel and I always – I'm like, as they talked about in this big article in the San, U San Diego Union Tribune about the Padres, Kevin Acey wrote it, and about the Padres and Manny Machado, and they talked about at, at Dodger Stadium where it was an optional thing. None of the starters were out there. Padres' time was up, and then the Dodgers came out, and all the Dodgers were players were out there for an optional. Makes, makes me think of something that's not optional, and that's being a Tampa Bay Ray. We only get to see him once a year, but every single time, every single day, doesn't matter, night game, day game, they take infield. Mm -hmm. They work on their fundamentals every single game, 162 games. It doesn't matter how late it was the night before. They do it. I've asked. They do it every single game. It's who they are. And it's like that's why I think about young players watching this like Jordan Diaz. We talked to Eric Martins. I want to see you down here every single day. Every I want day. to see the young guys down here working hard. And then watch what everybody else is doing. Watch mm -hmm. how the best players conduct their business. How do you not? And that was always something that I wanted to do. You know, I, I'm not saying that I was watching other guys throw bullpens before it was cool, but that's just something that you did. You just watched somebody work 
because where else are you going to pick up this kind of education? Where else are you going to watch somebody throw a major league bullpen? You're not going to go home and watch that. You're in the big leagues. Take your ass down there and watch a big league bullpen. It's that simple. Watch a round of BP in the cage of a guy who has a feel for what he's doing, a guy that you like his approach. These are all things that are street legal, highly, highly encouraged. So, you know, back to your, again to your point about what do you do on the last day? What do you do when the season's winding down? How do you handle it? You, you set yourself up and you put yourself on a trajectory to go into the offseason to continue to be able to put the work in that you've put in all season long. You have to continue to raise your baseline, right? Talking about the Mamba, continue to raise the baseline. If it's 10 gassers at the very end of his workouts, well, tomorrow it's going to be 12. Why? Because that's two more than 10. Do the math. I'm just going to do more. I'm just going to get better. That has to be the mentality. I have a list in my hand, and it's a list you're on. Uh-oh. It is left-handers to get a, 30 starts in a season. It's not a felonious. <laughs> All right. No, it is doesn't have everything from Stockton that you did. That list Good. is – we've kind of covered that list up, by the way, here on Ace Cast. Uh Means something, man. That means something. And, and, and you know what? If you want to call me Old Man River, I'll stay on that river and fly fish all day because I keep talking about 4,374 outs. That's how many outs you got to get, not counting extra innings. That's how many you got to get in a season. And, you know, we don't have enough guys to throw innings and get enough outs. I'm so happy for J.P. Sears. It's a list that's got you, Vita Blue, Ken Holtzman, Mark Mulder, Kenny Rogers, Barry Zito, on and on. Your guy, Gio Gonzalez. It means something. 30 starts. And hopefully someday he's 30 starts, 200 innings. Just talk about how proud you are of him. Because in August, I had a bunch of people like my partner here, shut it down, he's struggling. I'm like, no, you've got to battle through this. And he battled through August. He's been great in September. How proud are you of J.P. Sears? Extremely proud. Listen up, Commander. Put the cans on. That right there is a wonderful look into a guy taking advantage of the opportunity set in front of him and then earning the opportunity each and every time he took the baseball, just getting 1% better each and every day. He identified some of the shortcomings, right? we got to figure out how to get the changeup in the mix just a little more. I, I can have success with it. How do we do that? Well, he wasn't afraid to challenge himself. And, again, learning at the big league level, not easy to do, not at all. And a lot of times for position players, we talk about the best availability or the best ability is availability. Can you be depended on? Can the skipper pencil you in every day? That, that goes a long way. It goes a long way on the mound as well, whether you're coming out of the bullpen or starter in the rotation every fifth day. Can the team count on you to get a body of work that is dependable every time you take the mound? And I don't think without a doubt there were questions about that in spots one through five at the beginning of the season. And J.P. Sears was a part of that. But he continued to grow and he continued to battle and he continued to go back to the drawing board and get better each and every outing. And because he's been able to stay healthy and he's been able to stay competitive, he now finds himself at the end of his season ready to post up 
30 plus times, which is an achievement all its own, especially in a day and age where you said something, Townie, 30 plus starts, 200 innings. And 200 innings is attainable still. It's not the unicorn that I think at times we make it out to be. But there is a certain level of efficiency that the game has told you you are now going to have to execute if you're going to be a 200-inning guy. And so it's not just going out there and being a horse and taking your lumps through seven or eight innings where you've given up six or seven runs, but you can just take that one on the chin for the club. You now have to be able to put together six, seven, or eight sparkling innings consistently to get that deep into these outings. And I think J.P. Sears has started to reveal himself as somebody who, if he can continue to make those adjustments and continue to take the ball consistently the way he has, there's no reason that the growth he's shown now isn't something that you can't continue to depend on. How important was it for you to prepare mentally before a season for you to finally be able to get to 30 starts i understand the physical part but i think there's got to be a huge mental component for you to strive for it and believe that you can actually attain that well i went from my first year in pro ball to just thinking about the things that i wanted to achieve to then understanding the power of manifestation the understanding of putting my desires into the universe tangibly writing these things down So holding myself accountable and, again, taking a piece out of the Mamba playbook, signing that contract with yourself that you cannot deter from. You cannot afford to not show up today because that contract will now be null and void. So you have to show up each and every day. And when that happens mentally, the physical preparation is almost an involuntary contraction. You know you have to do that, right? You're going to wake up, you're going to breathe, you're going to blink. Whether you like it or not, those are things that are going to happen. So to a a, a mental preparation standpoint, if you are prepared mentally to handle that, everything else that comes along with physically preparing for the road is going to take care of itself. David Force comes to you and says, Dallas Braden, I need help. What should our game plan be for Mason Miller? Is it starter? Can't keep him healthy, scared with that? Reliever? How would you do it? Well, I think what Mason Miller ultimately projects as is a frontline starter. I don't think there's any question when you think about his stuff and what we've seen here in the starting capacity and what we've seen in short bursts that could, I think, you know, replicate or emulate what a relieving role could potentially look like. And I think early, you always want to give a guy an opportunity to be able to show that he can provide bulk for you because physically looking at Mason Miller, He's an individual, when you put him through the eyeball test, tells you he can handle the workload. And the idea of only being able to add on to that, I think, gets you excited. Well, now you obviously you have the blemish, the injury, and that's something that's going to have to be paid attention to, something that's going to have to absolutely be game planned for and around at times. But I think early you have to give him the opportunity to show that he either can figure out how to build on this foundation and turn himself into that frontline starter that he projects as, or you give him and his body the opportunity to tell you that they can't and that we're going to have to figure out a different way to keep him healthy and keep him active. And maybe that is in shorter bursts. But I, I think there's still an opportunity for him to show you that he can be depended on every five days. First impressions are huge. Joe Boyle. Joe Boyle rules. Uh I like the idea that Joe Boyle has a big fastball that it didn't appear that he was afraid to challenge guys with. And there were some misses that were very non-competitive at times. 
but I think that has a lot to do with it being your big league debut. Oh, my God. Your heart's got to be going like. <laughs> I mean, goodness, right? So I, I can cut the guy some slack <laughs> yeah. when you're saying, well, Dallas. Curveball in the dirt. Right. Come on, well, Yeah, you know what? I don't think I threw a ball anywhere near home plate the first four <laughs> pitches I threw in my big league debut. So I get it. I know what the guy's going yeah. through. So that, that's why I say initial impression is you love the fact that he's got the big-time fastball, the 96, 98, 99. We saw 100 miles an hour tickled. So – uh, his willingness to challenge guys because one thing that we all hear and we know at the minor league level is, look, they'll time a bullet up there at the big leagues. So you better put it where you want. You know, right down Main Street, n- not a not a good place to be. They'll ride you right out of the yard. So, again, just the, the, the willingness to say, here it is. I don't care if it's the big leagues. I don't care what the name on the back of your jersey says. Let me tell you about the name on the back of mine. I always like to say this. If you're playing the Masters for the first time and you're teeing up on one and you don't hit it in the fairway, I understand. I get it. <laughs> I, I understand. <laughs> I'm playing at the Masters. Uh, let's end on this. You went to a technical university in Texas. The Texas Tech University. And you, you got your guns going. Bang, and bang, you bang, got, bang, bang. Um, you did hit there. I did. I raked. So when I think about you as an analyst, everybody thinks about pitching. I know you hit and you hit in college. But what is that like for you? It's easy for you to talk pitching. Mm-hmm. But now, as an analyst, you got to do the entire game. you got to think as the manager, the pitching coach, the hitting coach. you got to at times think about the front office. What is that like for you as an analyst when you really need to think like a hitter? It's a ton of fun because that's the game in all its glory. Every aspect of it that you just outlined is what makes this game so beautiful, right? From the front office making decisions to put the guys in position that they're in to play the game that I'm analyzing and then watching the players physically move about, putting themselves in position, sometimes compromising, sometimes completely illogical. I don't know how they're physically doing what they're doing out there. We've got some of the greatest athletes on the planet playing the game of baseball right now. So having the experience of having stepped in the box at the highest level until you get to the professional ranks. I know what that's like. I've stared down 99. I, 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 I know what that feels like. Um, so th- that's something that I'm able to kind of, I don't want to say lean on, but I can tap into where some other guys, you know, maybe they were done hitting in high school. They didn't have that. And, and something else I did, Townie, to your, to your point about preparation, was I sat in a couple hitters meetings, right? Take the opportunity to talk to these guys during BP. I was out watching batting practice. So having conversations with the bench coach as a player and having conversations with the manager as a a player, that was able to open my eyes to the nuance of the game at the big league level that has, again, afforded me the opportunity, I think, to speak intelligently and analyze intelligently the game that we're seeing. The trick to what's happening at the dish these days for hitters is the new approach to the art of hitting that we're seeing the idea of lifting the baseball and like it, you know intentionally trying to lift the baseball in ways that was never even really thought of or I, I think people didn't entertain the idea that they were approaching the baseball that way that's a whole new wave of hitting that has to be acknowledged whether you like it or not it's something that guys at the big league level are applying there's a guy named Aaron Judge who's had a ton of his success. He's all right. Based on how a guru has showed him how to go about it. So to, to give you the long-winded answer, it's been a ton of fun because it's a great opportunity to talk about the game from every aspect. All right, a lot of people are not going to talk about this. I just want to address this because it's probably the last time we're going to have you during the season. Being a street-smart kid like yourself, you, you in your life have – 
always been able to overcome the obstacles. And what a lot of people don't know, you've been put in a very tough situation this year broadcasting. It's not like you've been doing this for 30 years. This has not been an easy year. We've thrown a lot at you and a lot of different things, and you have risen above the issues and the obstacles. I just want to tell you, I have noticed as someone that's watching every day and a part of this every day, you need to be commended. A lot of people aren't going to talk about this, but you need to be commended from a broadcasting standpoint what you've done this year because it's been very impressive. You've, you, you have matured as a broadcaster this year despite all the chaos that was around you. Tony, I appreciate that a lot. You know, I, I think uh, it, it probably hasn't been the easiest for a lot of us here, understandably so. And I think everybody involved just showing up and, and being the professionals that they've been, I think have made it as easy as it can be for all of us, you included, the commander included. Uh, you're right, it hasn't been easy, but I think because we love the game of baseball and we're able to find solace here at the ballpark and kind of let everything else just drip away and we can enjoy the game for what it is, uh, we're fortunate for that. So I appreciate that acknowledgement, but it's not without a lot of hard work that's done behind the scenes, again, to put us in positions to just kind of fade away and let the game kind of take us away for three hours. So I appreciate that, my friend. Great stuff. Have a good call. Thank you. Our A's historian, Dave Feldman, joins us here on A's Cast Live. We will not be doing a top ten no. today unless you want to do, like, top ten treehouse moments. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there was a there was a there was a heck of a game back there a couple of years ago that was pretty good. Um, what could we do top ten? You know, this year there is no top ten. It's bottom ten, and uh, you talk about truth and journalism. As you yes. talk about, I mean, the truth of the matter is this is the worst season in Oakland Athletics history. You just told me something. It's just shocking because because I. I you know, when you live this thing every day and you keep score, and, and by the way, he is so big leading us today. Look at this. Yeah. The official, Major League Baseball official score. He just didn't come up here as an A's historian. He came up here because he's scoring the game today. He's the official score. He's the gatekeeper of the game. Yeah, yeah. And for 30 bucks, you can get a shirt just like this. <laughs> can I really? Can I, we buy I, that? I think Can so. I buy that for Cody for Christmas? <laughs> That'd be a nice Christmas gift for him. Um, so when you do a day to day, you kind of don't think unless it's like unless it's like a lot of runs, a lot of wins, or a player's going off. I just don't think about hey, you know, we haven't had the lead in eight games. Like you just don't think about it. You just say another loss, and you go to another day. Tell me, tell our tell our audience what you just told me. So during this eight game losing streak, the Athletics have had they have not had the lead once. They One have time. gone eight consecutive games without the lead. That is the first time in Athletics franchise history, a proud franchise that started in 1901, they have gone eight games without the lead. Three times previously, they've gone seven games, 1960 when they were in Kansas City, wow. 1945, 1918, but never eight games without a lead. And, and to me, this eight-game stretch, um, starting with the game in Houston and then this whole homestand, this is the worst the A's have played all year, which is a shame because they actually started off September playing really well, uh, winning those two games in Houston, even winning a game in Texas. Um, but now this is just eight games without the lead, not being in a game. This is the worst stretch of baseball a very bad baseball team has played. 1901. 1901. Where were you in 1901? 1901. I was, I was, I was just, a, just a thought. In just a wee mind. lad back then? I <laughs> I mean that's hard. To, I mean that's hard to believe. Nineteen oh one, dating back, we we not not one time, not one time it was 
Four three A's. No, I mean One just even nothing get A's. get a run, get a run here, get a score in the wow. first inning. It's just, and that's what's been frustrating about this stretch of games is that they just haven't been in them. And they've gotten some good pitchings at times, right? And then the bullpen will come in and they give up a bunch of runs, and then the game just gets out of hand. And the A's are always chasing these games. And as we've known from this whole year, as an offense, this is not a prolific offense. This is not a rallying offense that puts a lot of runs together. It's not a comeback team. This has been just a struggle. And it's, it's to me, like I said, this is the worst stretch of the season. And as I just mentioned, of all the teams that I've watched this year, even though the A's have lost 107 games, this is not the worst baseball team I've seen. I still believe the Colorado Rockies are the worst team I've seen this year. Yes, they have 10 more wins than the Athletics. But watching them play, they are bad. That's a bad team. Nolan Jones in center field, terrific player. I'd take him any day. Do you know he's throwing the ball it. like 98 miles an hour? <laughs> like I saw that, that. And that's kind of the cool thing. Even though 98 miles an hour from an outfielder is great, but if he's not throwing it accurately, <laughs> it has no bearing. It just means he throws the ball hard to the wrong base, to the, doesn't throw it to the cough man. But the fact that he's throwing 98 miles an hour from the outfield is insane. On a line. He had an assist in San Francisco when they were when the Rockies were playing there from center field, from mid-center field, on the line, to the catcher, on the fly, out, 101 miles an hour. In the By the way, another Guardians. It is amazing the amount of Indians slash Guardians that are all over the league yeah. that you go, man, if they had these guys, like the kid that's being brought up in uh, in Tampa. The double-A guy? Uh, Kevin, Kevin Ariel? Yeah. He's, a, he's, he's from the Guardians. Yeah, like he's starting he, in the lineup today. There's like yeah. Guardians everywhere. It's like they've been known for pitching, but if you just would have kept these guys, you'd have an incredible lineup. Right. But, but, but to me, so the Rockies, I think, are still – I'd rather have the A's future than the Rockies' future. I, I'm, I'm a believer in Zach Geloff, right? And I think every, we all have to be at this point. I mean, he's given us no reason to believe he's not going to be a stud player. Um, the other young players for the A's, we're, there's going to be growing pains. I mean, Soderstrom's 21 years old. He's, he's learning. He needs to square the ball up. Lawrence Butler needs to square the ball up, and you're going to have him on. And I think that's an interesting thing to talk to him about. It's just how hard it is at this level to square a ball up consistently. We've seen it when it happens, right? We've seen those balls fly. It doesn't happen very often. But how hard is it? What's the difference between AAA pitching and major league pitching? He's going to be able to tell you because he's, he's going through it right now. Yeah. And then we've seen a couple, you know, Joy, Joe Boyle, was, it was a nice first three innings that we saw. Uh, Joey Estes has some moxie. Where the A's are deficient is pitching. We know that in the system they have a deficiency. They're going to have to do something to rectify that. But the A's position players, I believe, are going the right track. I think, I, like I said, I take the A's future over the Rockies' future. You know, it's so funny when we talk about that, the deficiency is pitching. It's so funny because it's everybody's deficiency. It is. It's like these days of, oh, my God, look at this young crop. Uh, we, we joke about it all the time because Jason Isringhausen kind of reminds me of a Mason Miller in a way, <laughs> yeah. and that was Pulsiver and Wilson. Remember, they had their big three. Everybody wants a big three and everything. Like the days of, I mean, with so many UCLA, UCL, I say UCLA, with so many UCL injuries and so many guys going down and the fact that Perry Manassian, who told us on Sirius XM, he was doing the interview, says, hey, the average team is going to use 13 pitchers. Starting pitchers in a season, my God, the Giants with the opener have used how many? We've used how many? So it's like, it's hard to say, I've got a core of young pitchers because everybody's deficient pitching. It is. It's tough. I and mean, the Giants across the Bay have proved you cannot go through a season with two starting pitchers. It's just not feasible. It doesn't work. Yeah, it works for a short term. 
But for six months, it doesn't. You need horses. You need starters. And there is a lack of them. And I was talking to um, – we were in San Francisco with Roxy Bernstein and talking to the ESPN people and saying, why is there an efficiency? What's happening? And a lot of it is just the way pitchers are being brought up. And we, we saw it uh, where pitchers are going six innings and they're happy about it. Right, that's the change in mentality. That's they're, how pitchers They're not are only happy about it, they feel, I'm done. I'm done. I've given you six, and you could say, well, you threw 88 pitches. No, no, I gave you six, I'm done. I mean, Blake Snell has a no-hitter for seven innings. Blake Snell, former Cy Young winner, possibly Cy Young winner again. Seven-inning no-hitter, 103 pitches, I think it was, 103, 104. I'm done. What? What? And he, and he doesn't have a postseason to worry about. You're, exactly. You're saving him for nothing, and he's leaving the organization probably after the year. Well, what are we saving him for? Why wouldn't you want your shot at history? You have a shot at history. A no, Go for it. Now, the, the doubters will say, well, look what happened to Alex Cobb in San Francisco. They let him go for the no-hitter, 130-plus pitches, and then he hurt his hip, and he's done. It's not the doubters, it's the analytics. It's people. a lot of the analytics. It's but the my, analytics you people. know my thing with injuries, and I, I firmly believe this to this day, if you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. It doesn't matter if we baby you or not. If you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. Mason Miller, great example for the A's, right? He had a seven-inning no-hitter and came out, which still frustrates me. Again, he thought that was okay, too, because he's been brought up that way mentally. But the A's were protecting him. Well, what happens two starts later? He's hurt. hurt. Yeah. There's no proof. There's no, there's no orthopedic surgeon that is going to come out and say, okay, here's what. Still allow them to throw 100% max, six gear as fast as you can, pitch them less, and that will keep them healthy. There's nobody no. that's going to sign. They can't figure it. No one can figure If they knew the answer, we'd have so many studies on it. This person would be getting, I mean, you would get so much praise. No one has figured out how to keep. They went with the strategy, and they continue to go with the strategy. Less is more, but that's not proving it's right. It's not, and, and I look back. I was looking back at the Orioles in 1978. That was a team that went 11-0 against the Athletics. So well, let's take a look at their pitching staff. They used a four-man rotation that year, right? Mike Flanagan. Jim Palmer, Scott McGregor, Scott McGregor, and Dennis Martinez. El Presidente. Right. All have 35-plus starts. All go 270, 280 innings. Uh, that's all they needed. Now, yes, did they, were they throwing 96, 97 miles an hour? No. But nobody was back then. It was different. But they were still able to pitch that often and throw that many innings, and they were fine. And it, they were able to go through it. The next year, they won the World Series. These same guys. We baby these guys with the analytics and all this and the mentality. It's, the mentality really gets me. right? You were a pitcher. You were a college pitcher. And you knew when you were starting, your job was to get 27 outs. And if you got less than that, that's not good. I had There was times when that's why I'm always the guy that's got to be the, the, the middle guy because when you're young – you know, you know, when you come up and you go from high school and now you're playing in college, you're so young compared to these guys who are seniors and sophomores and guys who are getting drafted that you got slotted into a relief role. And since I had been a starter, I was the guy, oh, hey, he can throw three, four innings, and it's hard. But, yeah, in those three, four innings, I could throw the amount of pitches that these guys are throwing today that you're taking them out. Like, no one was going, oh, he's at 60 pitches. We got problems. It was like. Is he getting outs? Is he effective? Keep rolling. I, 
what scares me when we were at the San Jose Giants Stockton Ports game recently is the San Jose Giants guy went three innings, and next thing you know, you're like, where'd he go? <laughs> so how are you getting better as a professional athlete? Three innings every six days. Yeah. You're hardly getting to work on your craft. That would scare me as a professional athlete going, I want to be the greatest I possibly can be. How can I be great if I'm only going three innings every six days? Yeah, that scare me. And I don't want to be, you know, the old man, get off my lawn in my day. We did Come this Come on, and that. Clint, let it go. No, I, I don't believe in that. I just don't think this is the way to build winning teams. Houston Astros, right, they built it with a rotation. They've used the fewest amount of players this year, right? And they're going to probably win the AOS because Seattle and Texas are going to knock each other off these next seven games. Uh, they're showing that if you have stud starters – who you let them pitch, it's going to be successful. And that's the mentality you have to have. That is still the way to win. The Atlanta Braves have the same rotation. They've had it almost the same, the same guys all year. That's how you win. You have to build that mentality and build from that rotation. I, I just That's where it all starts for, from. You look at the A's teams, and when they were successful, where did it come from? It came from the starting rotation. The one total outlier in all this was 2018 when they had no starters at all and it was all bullpen-based. But well, other than that, it's the starters. Twelve was interesting with starters. Well, that was all. There's all rookie. Thirteen. <laughs> you're all well, rookie. Yeah, that's a, it's it's always and and that's what I want to get away from is the whole hodgepodge and that's what gets me about the salary thing is when you were always let's just take like a number of ninety million. When you have ninety million, you do have the ability to constantly be shipping people, right? And you can give a little money, take a little money, ship him here, ship him here, da da. And they'd always do that until they found something that stuck, and they'd go with it. But when all of a sudden you don't have that money, and you now have to rely on your drafting, your international signings, like what you have done as a front office, you can't always because the A's have been masters at looking at other people's organizations, True. finding other people's players, and bringing them over and making it work. Well, now you got to make your – the A's are in a spot right now. Your players, your signings have to work. Yeah, and that's and that's where the success has come too. When you look back through these A's history in Oakland, it's been homegrown guys that have been the key. Now the A's, they traded their homegrown guys in Chapman and Olsen, and they got a lot of prospects. We're not seeing a huge payoff in that yet. There's still time. There are still years to go before we're going to get a final say on this. But right now in the short term, it hasn't been great. And so you're back to relying on the guys that you drafted and the guys you're developing. And, you know, again, with, with, with Geloff and Butler and, and Denzel Clark behind him. And, you know, Hernais we got in the urban trade. And I'm really interested to see Hernais because I think he's, he's a good player. But, but Harris, the third baseman, is also down there who was also our draft pick. So it's going to be interesting how they deal with those two guys. Don't you like, though, that there is – fights that are going to happen yeah. in spring training competitive like, like legitimate i always go the R, the hardball iron sharpens iron you're going to have competition inside the building for all of these yep. spots that to me and and even pitching you're going to have a whole list of guys that you're going to say let's go and whoever doesn't make it you go to triple a but no you're in triple a you're going to get an opportunity everybody's sure. going to get a shot yeah it's going to be really interesting in the offseason to see what they do with their their arbitration players, with the players they invite to spring training. They're so young. They're not really losing anything, right? They're going to lose Tony Kemp to free agency, and they'll lose Trevor May to free agency. Everybody else is under their control. See what they want to do and how they're going to go about it. Uh, there's not a lot of real trade pieces. I don't see them making trades and bringing people in. Um, this is what we got, and we got to build from this. But I'm still excited about it because I, I like our position players. I like the position players that are coming. Guys like Max Muncy, who had a very good year, they're coming. They're going to be good players. 
pitching's an issue. And it's just that's what it is. It's an issue. Like you said, it's an issue around the league. Yeah. It's definitely an issue in, in the Oakland Athletics organization. I do want to get into college football because it has started, and I do want to get into your opinion on how you felt, where you are now, and how you see the future. But you had a rebuttal to what I had to say. You want to rip Bob Costas? Go ahead. <laughs> no. I, I, I believe in Bob Costas, and, and, and I've worked with Bob Costas. I've got to know him a little bit, um, and he's – He's a very smart man, and he's seen a lot. And, no, I, I agree with, with some of what he says. I, what I take exception to you is what you're saying about the media. Ah. I think the media in a whole does a very good job. I think the guys who have been around, who are veterans, are solid reporters. And I mentioned to you, John Shea of the Chronicle, who has been all over this A's and the MLB and the move and all that. Another great article just dropped today about it. Uh, he does his work. He does his legwork, and he talks to everybody, and he takes – very seriously to be correct there are guys like that there's not though there are he's it no he's not we don't we don't have a baseball columnist other than john shea most of our columnists have all been retired because they got rid of them it is very like our, our our newspaper business has been you and i when we were first starting in this business we had the oakland tribune we had the cc times we had all these different papers we had all these different great writers and columnists and everything a lot of that's gone. It is. And what, what we're missing is some of the gatekeeping as well, the editors who go through this stuff with a fine-tooth comb to make sure there are not mistakes. Because I'm with – I cannot stand mistakes and reporting and things that get out there. Got to be the first on Twitter. No. Got to get out. Then if you're wrong or you didn't get it quite right, you don't retract just because you were the first out there and you want clicks. But there's got to be – you know, there's got to be research. I think The Athletic as a website and the stories that they do are very well done and very well thought out and very well vetted. For, for, for to make sure it's truthful. And I think there's a lot of good information there. I wish there was more hard-hitting journalism here. I think the teams need to be held more accountable. You see it a little bit on the Warriors beat and the Niners beat, right? The two marquee teams in the Bay Area. You see more attention and more questions asked. But on the baseball side, and it's been this way for a while, it's a little light. There's not a lot of hard-hitting questions even in winning times, of going after. It was nice to see Andrew Bagley of The Athletic kind of go after the Giants today and talk about you made this big thing about bringing Farhan back next year and bringing Kapler back. Well, maybe you shouldn't have said that because maybe you don't want to bring Kapler back because he's doing what he did in Philadelphia. He's having a bad end of the season, and this is why the owner in Philadelphia fired him because he has bad ends of the season. So I, I think... Now, is this, is, obviously, when you say Niners, I go NFL. Yeah. NFL coverage, as we know, I worked in the NFL, you've worked around the NFL. It's just, it's different than everything else. Warriors, for now, for now, I say for now, because of the run that they have been on. And also the NBA has seen. But also then when I say, okay, then we switch over to baseball, we switch over to Sharks and hockey. I, I just wonder, is it... Is it basically because of the sports that they're getting more? I think for the Warriors, it's because of their winning. When they go back, and hopefully it doesn't happen, but, you know, it will at some point. They're going to be bad again. You're going to see that level off, just like as it did before, before they were good. The Niners are different. I think the NFL is different. I think the attention and the – You have to give it the coverage. You, you have, have to. to. Yeah. And there's nothing – you know, the, if you look at the Chronicle website – and the clicks that you get, it's all Niner-driven. And it has been for a while now. And that's, that's where the money is. That's where the sponsorship is. And that's never going to change, I don't think, for a long time. That's going to be your number one. Yeah, I had Matt Mayoko on my talk show for years when I was at 95-7 The Game, and we were going over this about how just 
it wasn't he, he you know he's the most humble guy and yeah. he does great work but he said it's not because of me it's because the Niners and and I get more more clicks because they know it's everything's data driven in this world they know and and all my time with the Raiders I mean I did the Raiders for years they were always bad yeah. but we still had mass coverage like if that was a baseball team you've got no like how many times did Susan Slusser get taken off we don't even have I mean other than Martin Gallegos. We don't even have a beat writer for a Major League Baseball team in the Oakland. No, San Francisco Chronicles. Which I'm fine with because you come here for A's. (laughs) The Chronicles staffed it with an intern for most of the year, and Sam Warren did the best job he could. But this is an intern. He doesn't really know. He doesn't know the history of baseball. A lot of factual mistakes when he's trying to relate things. But he's learning. But, yeah, they didn't have the coverage because there's not the demand for it. They can get away with it because no one's demanding it. you got to be good. You know, the funny thing about, you talk about media with the Warriors. When the Warriors really in the heyday of their championships, the members of the media were starting to feel it too. They were feeling they were all-stars. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because Twitter the, accounts are getting bigger. The whole bigger. thing, yeah. everyone's following them and calling for them. It's crazy. Hey, don't worry. I was there when, well, I wasn't actually there, but I was covering it. When Spree tro- choked Carlissimo, it was a whole different time. I, oh, rem- I remember being the crown, the crown royal room doing post-game on KMBR Warriors, and drunks were screaming at me on the way out. I remember the good old Listen, days. if you know Vontigo Cummings, then you're, then you're okay with me. <laughs> Give me Bimbo Coles and Bobby Sir any Sarah. day. Oh, um, quickly, because we're going to have Butler coming up. When I talk about I liked what I heard today, and I'm calling it, I'm calling it coming out of the Moneyball era. What I like is I want to take from, let's play Clint Eastwood, get off my lawn. When we were growing up and he had so many great athletes, I like that we can do that and mix the power. Right. Our young, great, we're not everybody's choking up. And the fact that we can take a bunch of great athletes and give them the power, give them athleticism, athleticism play versus I can't, I, I can't start looking at a bunch of John Jahas. No. The, the strikeout, home run, walk guy. You can have a couple, but when you're building teams based on that, a lot like how the Yankees have, and they're finally a minute, you start looking like Jurassic Park. Yeah. You need athletes. I think, you know, Lawrence Butler coming up here, this is the next wave, and that's the athlete you want, big, strong guys who can do it all, can run, can hit, can throw. They're not one-tool players. I think that's, that's where the future is, and that's the, the more athletic teams. You watch the Atlanta Braves play, right? Matt Olson with his home runs, but he's also a gold glove first baseman. He can do more than that. Acuna joined the 40-40 club today. He's also the first player in the 40-50 club, in the 40-60 club. Then he's going to be the first member of the 40-70 club. I mean, this guy can do it all, power, speed, run. He's the, the unicorn. That's the player you're looking for, but Corbin Carroll in Arizona, he's the next guy like that. These guys are coming, and baseball's doing a much better job over the last seven to ten years of getting athletes to stay in baseball. Remember, for so long we were losing athletes to football and to, to basketball. We're getting them back now. And I think they're watching the game, they're enjoying the game, they're seeing, and we're getting athletes to stay in baseball, and we're starting to be, reap the, the benefits of that. All right, let's rapid fire real quick. Deion Sanders, good for college football. What have you seen? Fantastic for college football. Straight-up guy. When he was a baseball player, his teammates always talked about what a great guy he was in the clubhouse, that it wasn't prime time in the clubhouse. It was Deion in the clubhouse. And that's what he's brought to college football. Yeah, he's got the showmanship. He can sell, but he's been great doing with the media. He's been great in the locker room. He had that the thing with the Colorado State player who hurt his best player and Hunter. But he said, hey, forgive this guy. He's just a guy trying to play football. It's okay. He handles everything so well. 
I, I think he's been great. They're going to Oregon this week. Oregon is a top 10 football team. Oregon is going to beat Colorado. It's going to be interesting to see how Dion is after this game, if that does happen. All right. All the change. Is he here? He's here. All right. We will. You're not going anywhere. No. I'm still here. We will have you throughout the offseason. Our A's historian, Dave Feldman, let's just switch places. I, we get him once a year. We get him once a year. He's the toughest book of the year. I mean, when I think about who the toughest guys in the history of baseball to book for A's Cast Live, Claywood is he, he's basically said, you get me once a year, you pick that time, use it wisely, so we are uh, we're using it. We're using that card right now. How are you, my friend? Doing well, Tony. How are you? This is it. You got four left. Four left. Yep. We're uh, you know winding down. It's a grind. It is a grind, and I, I don't think people understand. I get to see it because doing the post game show, everybody's gone, and I get to see everything you guys do. I don't think people understand the hours that you guys put in. When when you show up to when you leave, how much you you manicure and baby this beautiful grass throughout the baseball season? Yeah, the crew just puts in uh, just an immense amount of hours. People have no clue. Um, there are certain people who do, but you know, people that see it, um, guys that appreciate it. But um, yeah, the guys are here. They put their heart and soul into this field every single day. Um, you know, it's basically like repeat and rinse every day we're just doing the same things over and over trying to keep the field the best it can be uh the most consistent it can possibly be for these guys every day so it's um it's not easy to make a field look like this and you know players leave and they go coach somewhere and they always call back like hey how do i do this how do i do that you know you really some guys take it for granted some guys don't but you know i think you know, if you're here every day, you see what it takes to make this happen. It's it's pretty awesome. How proud are you that so many players will say that this is the top grass playing surface in all of Major League Baseball? Yeah, I mean, it's a testament to the crew and, and just the effort that they put in, really. And, and you know, myself, I, I'll give the crew all the credit in the world. But, you know, um, we hear it a lot from visiting players. Just, you know, they love playing here, the, the – you know, consistency of the surface, how flat it is. Um, so we, you know, we get it a lot. I don't, it's not something that we expect, but, you know, it's certainly nice when you hear it, for sure. How has the world changed for you once the Raiders left? Um, I, I think it, you know, it's really been a, a whole complete lifestyle change, really. I mean, not just, uh, you know, work-wise, but, you know, family time-wise and uh, stress level-wise, both physically and mentally. Um you know, it's it really a life-changing event for somebody like me who the first 25 years I was here, I had, you know, I had to deal with both. So uh, to have it for that many years and then all of a sudden not have it, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, definitely a lifestyle change for sure. What's so interesting, too, when we talk about how so many people love the playing surface, it's not like this stays here year-round. You well, constantly have to redo it. Well, we, we will this year. Um, we're not the, no monster trucks. The, no, no. The the major dirt show, shows are moving back over to San Francisco to Oracle Park. So, 
we'll be able to keep this field, maintain it, and not have to rebuild it this year, which is, you know. Um, so this grass will now be here year-round? It will be. You know, for at least this year, we'll see what changes next year, if anything. But, does, that, um, does that change anything for you? Um, yeah, it changes a little bit. Just, you know, our approach to the offseason, um, how we maintain it, you know, what we'll have to do throughout the course of the year. We won't have to do a lot. I mean, once um, the days are getting shorter, things are staying wetter, it's, it, you know, the grass will go into a little bit of dormancy at some point. So it's not like we're going to have to mow every day. And, and uh, yeah, It's a winter, yeah. But, but we will have to maintain and, and do some things that we – wouldn't do if you know if we we're going to cover it with six thousand yards of dirt for sure so i remember years ago 49er players would talk about this is old school when they would drive in and they were going to play mm -hmm. <laughs> now everybody but but they say you come into candlestick park they would look at the bay and they would know whether it was going to be a soggy field at candlestick or a dry field right and what size cleats to wear we're below sea level right how much does that affect the surface on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, you know, a lot. People don't, you know, realize. And it's not just, you know, this time of year. You can see the shadows are already covering the field. Days are shorter. Uh, the morning we get really long shadows from Mount Davis and, and the scoreboard. And, and all those things factor into, you know, to, to how the field plays. And, and playability field can, you know, it can change overnight once the – you know, once fall hits and, and really what we call the worm turns and, 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 you know, like I said, those shorter days, sun angle, all those things, just they make a huge difference. And, and sea level here for sure, uh, being 22 feet below sea level at the playing surface, you know, the tide being in or out or. Do you check you know, the tides? Um, yeah, I, I, I do check the tides. I don't check them on a daily basis here, more for fishing, but, <laughs> but, uh, fishing in the Tough delta life. but <laughs> but i mean it's almost to the point now where you know especially in the winter time i used to be able to walk across the field and i could tell whether the tide was in and you know if that slew behind the stadium would be full of water i mean it's just one of those things you get a feel for it just every 12 hours just, tide goes in then goes out just walking across the field it's uh it, it it's a unique situation here for sure even you know, the funny thing about Candlestick was it was actually, I think, nine feet above sea level, but definitely still had some tidal influence. But it was right uh, on the water. But right on the water and, and, and definitely, uh, but above sea level, you know, and that's the thing here. I think, you know, possibly we're the only stadium in the country that's below sea level and then being 22 feet, that's, you know, that's a long ways. Well, you, you just don't, we just, ah, it's grass. It's a living organism. And that's why I always thought about, when I also would do the Raiders shows, and I'd watch you guys take down. I'd watch you set up. I'd watch you take down, whether I was doing A's or Raiders. I got to see all that and how the grass was being suffocated by putting by the stands for the Raiders stands would be out here or they come right out of Mount Davis and you guys would set up. I mean, it was really tough for the grass. So yep. uh, having, the play, having, the, having the playing service be consistent you know, all those years of playing playoff games still with like this and painting the grass was, was brutal. It's just nice to have a consistent playing surface. It is. It is. It's nice not to have to worry about, you know, in July, oh, we have to start, you know, overseeding or prepping or, you know, really we used to have to start altering things in July to prepare for August preseason football. You know, those those days are, are gone. We don't really have to change a whole lot. You know, once we start get shorter days, we have to adjust water and things like that. But, I mean, really it was uh, – you know, it was like, okay, football's coming. We have to do some things different um, 
for you know those conversions, uh, which were absolutely. It, it only took one. That was the thing. You know, you could play 50 baseball games, and the field would be still be beautiful, and and play one football game, one conversion, and you know the field was never the same after that. I mean, we, you know, the crew did a great job. We we kept it nice. We uh, kept it consistent uh, the best we could, but you know the field was never the same after that first football conversion. Just it's not possible. All right, I keep my ear to the ground around this joint. I've been around here a long time. All right, concerts, maybe soccer games coming to the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. How much? Like going into next year, how much could that affect the playing service? Uh, it definitely affects it. You know. Um, if, you and know, how much control do you have with that? Well, you know, really not much control over whether they do them or not. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but you're, you're not scheduling the concerts? Yeah. yeah uh, no. There would be no concerts if I was scheduling that, you It wasn't Bad Bunny's people yeah, calling yeah. you up? And no, the, no, no, no. Uh, no, we're usually the, you know, <laughs> we're usually the last to find out when it comes to some of that stuff. Now, with the soccer, that's something that we've been uh, alerted to. That yeah. was more of an A's thing. and. We were alerted to that early. That could happen in March. Um, I don't think it's a done deal yet, but, you know, that's certainly close to baseball, and we'd have to cover the infield dirt with grass, and and you have to kind of manipulate those edges for soccer so that they have a smooth transition. So definitely affects, you know, what we're doing here. Soccer's not nearly as invasive as football, but, you know, you have lines out there. You have transitions where you have sod from, you know, soccer on the dirt. so, yeah, there are some things to, to consider. And then concerts, you know, <clears throat> the stages have come a long way. So if they use the modular stage that comes in and, and cover the, you know, the field with the plastic flooring, concerts aren't as damaging as they used to be. They used to be brutal before the, you know, the higher quality plastic flooring. Um, now the, you know, fields in general kind of hold up better to, uh, to concerts with the newer technology. All right. I'm going to give you a magic wand. We'll end on this. You could change anything about the Coliseum. Magic wand. Boom. You're like Glenda, the magical. What was she, the magical? This is is a, so just. You can do anything you want. Anything you want. Magic wand, you get one, what, genie in the bottle. Look. Genie comes out. You don't get three wishes. You get one. Anything to this facility, bang, what would you do? For me, it'd be a new irrigation system (laughs) we've had so many issues over the last few years it's 24 plus years old and you know we have mainline breaks and i mean i guess you know there's so many things you could do to this place you get one you get one i'll take a new irrigation system if they could just do it just make it happen i'll take that that's it cody what's your one you get one uh i have to think about it you put me on the spot here (laughs) I mean, irrigation. That's what gas get put on. I the mean, spot. irrigation system is pretty big deal. You got to keep. You go irrigate. Cody's going irrigation system too. <laughs> as a big what lawn, a chump. I, you know, as a big lawn guy at my apartment, you know, I have to ke- keep track of the lawn and I'm take care of it. I'm a big lawn guy. <laughs> now, Townie, what is yours? Oh, a studio for me. Ace studio. Gas Studio. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wham! I mean, it'd be now. Like would that be in the treehouse, or would that be? Oh no, too far away. Okay. We're <laughs> gonna have our own, own high tech. I want to sit on the. I want to sit on the field live and during games. Yeah, you say that now, so you're down here freezing. I want my own studio. Can I want the? I want a multi-million dollar studio of my own. Okay. That's what I want. Brilliance to bring you the brilliance. Oh. Uh, 
Good stuff. Instead of your guys running me over all day long here on the field, <laughs> I want my own studio. That's what I would. I know a lot of people would say Mount Davis. They would just get rid of Mount Davis. It, you know, it, it doesn't serve a purpose like it used to. So, you know, it would certainly, uh, certainly free things up a little bit and kind of open up and expand some views again. But, um, yeah. You're going irrigation. I mean, I'm going irrigation system. Irrigation it is. All right, my friend. <laughs> Tony, thanks, One buddy. time a year, we get you. Your Sounds busy good. schedule. All right. Well, hey, uh, got any big plans off season? You're done in four days. No, no big plans. You know, got a daughter in school, and you know it's tough to get away for, uh, you know, when when the kids are in school. So, just uh, you know, fishing, golfing, duck hunting, and just is Reba just, ready to go? Reba's ready. Yeah, got to get her in a little bit better shape, but she's ready to go. Keep her out of that visiting clubhouse. How do you get the dog in shape for duck hunting season? You just run her, you know. You 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 play uh, you play fetch. You you know she's a retriever. She goes yeah. she goes and gets the ball. So probably I mean most famous dog in baseball. I I I'm gonna say probably. You know I don't know of a whole lot of other dogs, but uh, yeah she's a superstar and just a you know great dog. We love having her around so bob melvin claims that when he came back this time reba remembered him i i would certainly not doubt that one bit i mean when bob was here he spent a lot of time with reba you know every day he'd run the stairs and he'd come down and he'd always have a water bottle he'd take one sip and then the rest would go to reba and they spend you know 15 20 minutes just playing fetch and hanging out and uh yeah so that didn't surprise me a bit when he came walking out she turned around and ran right to him. So, yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise her. She's, she's a smart dog. How many people talk to you about your dog, and is your dog more popular than you are? I'm going to have to say yes. I'd, I'd say on an average day there's probably at least ten people that say hi to Reba before they say, you know, before before they acknowledge me. It's like, oh, Reba, oh, hey, Clay, how's it going? Yeah. So, I mean, that happens daily by a lot of people, so. I'm used to it. I think, you know, sometimes my even my wife does it at home. So that's you know, <laughs> yeah, just Spencer how it is. the dog gets way more love <laughs> than I do at home. Great stuff. Coming up next, we get you ready for the eight. Are you ready revenge series for 12 and 13? Oh, this series? Yes. Yeah. Uh, get God. back at these SOBs for Where's, what happened. Verlander's not on this team, is I he? bring him back. <laughs> you and J- Jim Leland can smoke cigarettes in the dugout all he wants. Let's go revenge series. <laughs> That is still uh, like so I, I told somebody I'm like probably probably the last time that a manager was smoking cigarettes in a dugout was yeah that might, may have smoking gym may have been yep that might have been the last time and Ethan we'll ask you as a pitcher yeah. JP Sears is getting start number thirty today wow yeah kind of a big deal right yeah that's a full season right there now, you think about your young career and I know everybody strives. As starters, as you want to be valuable to your team, I don't know how much of you guys do. Did you guys know that uh, J.P. Sears is going to be hitting that today? I did not. I uh, yeah haven't been able to keep track of everybody's stats, but it's kind of been a whirlwind since I got here. So, uh, yeah, just trying to perform well. So how's it been like coming to the A's and getting this opportunity? Uh, it's been amazing. I mean, uh, yeah, with the Orioles, uh it was awesome there, but it was definitely, you know, they're making a playoff run, kind of hard to make it up to the big leagues. They've got their guys they are using that are doing well, and so getting the opportunity to come over here and have a good shot to make it to the big leagues this year was awesome. I always talk about Oakland is the land of opportunity. 
What was it like? Shintaro Fujinami gets traded. Fuji, our guy Fuji, we love Fuji. <laughs> but what was it like for you knowing you were coming to Oakland and knowing you really were going to get a shot at, at, at a chance to live out your dream, which is to play in Major League Baseball? Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing. It was, I mean, a dream come true. Uh, grew up on the West Coast, so being able to come back out here for the first time since college uh, was awesome. And then, yeah, just knowing – they traded me for Fujinami, and he's an amazing pitcher. So, uh, yeah, just knowing that it's going to be a real opportunity is something I uh, couldn't have dreamed of a couple years ago. Yeah, you grew up in Simi Valley, right? Yeah, Simi Valley. And down for, in for everybody California. that's Ventura County, which is north of Los Angeles, <laughs> yep. uh, the, the Reagan Presidential Library is there is the big yeah. deal. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah. And then you're at Pepperdine Waves, right? Pepperdine Waves, yep. It was uh, Malibu. It was amazing. I mean, yeah, it doesn't suck, by the cool way. Cool area, yeah. <laughs> you see the ocean from their baseball field. I played at San Jose yeah. State. We played oh, yeah. that. Oh, you're like, oh, my God, Pepperdine. So yeah. you always stayed in the area, which is nice. Yeah. It's got to be nice to be back on the West Coast. Yeah, it's been awesome. My uh, my family lived up in Idaho now. They moved up there in 2018. So they actually got to come down and see me uh, debut and stuff. Uh, and then, yeah. You recently had a whole row. Yeah, that was because uh, I looked down and they all had them. they all had your name on the back. They all had the shirts. Yeah, yeah. That. yeah my dad does some uh, heat pressing, so he can just yeah. print out some shirts, and yeah, they all were ready to go. What was that like when you look up and you see everybody <laughs> in the stands? It was amazing. I mean, yeah, just having the support and seeing them there was really cool. Now everybody has that moment, and it's whether you're driving up into the stadium, it's coming in the clubhouse. It's your first game, or maybe somebody you face, yeah. where you go. I can't. What was when you? What was the one moment you'll look back on and you went, "Wow, I'm in the big leagues." What was that <laughs> moment? It well, so it was actually in uh, Texas when we went over to the Rangers right after because the game I got called up, I got uh, told the night before at like 10:30 after a game in Las Vegas, and then early morning flight up here for a day game. Um, and I was still just kind of like, you know, in space. I didn't know what was going on until we got on a flight over to Texas after the game ended. And then in Texas, I was sitting there and, you know, I'd see Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, all yeah. these guys. And I was like, oh, my goodness, here I am. Um, yeah, that, that was kind of the moment it hit me. While I was here, it was awesome. But I think it was still I wasn't quite fully processed. And I kind of just sat in the bullpen and was like, okay. And, uh, yeah, it, it really hit me that next game. What do you think is best for you long-term as a pitcher? What, where do you see what's best? Or ideally, what, what would you like to do? Because you come up and you just want to yeah. pitch, yeah. but you know in your mind, do I want to start? Do I want to relate? Like, what do you think is best for you long-term? That, I mean, I'm obviously I'm happy to do whatever I need to. Um, I think kind of with the pitches I have right now, I'm best as more of a – relief slash longer relief type of guy um i don't think i throw quite hard enough to be a you know lights out closer maybe next year i'm gonna work on that but uh and then i don't think i have the stuff versus righties that i'd need to get them out consistently sort of that change up or two seam something that goes the other way so right now i think i slot in as a good like lefty matchup uh i can get guys out both sides but i'm best versus lefties so that's kind of my uh, my pigeonhole right now. 
Well, I'll tell you what, it, it, it's such an interesting role now. Now that we know, and it's unfortunate, we talk about all the time, that starters don't go deep. Yeah. Well, someone's got to get to the back of the bullpen, and that guy in the middle that can be have the type of arm you have where you can go X amount of days, X amount of innings, Yeah. that has become more valuable than ever before. That guy used to not really exist. He was a yeah. mop-up guy. <laughs> now that, that this role you're talking about yeah. is essential for teams. Yeah. No, yeah, with the sign – or bleh, kind of keeping pitchers uh, healthy throughout the season. They've, you know, guys are throwing harder and just knowing the optimal pitches in a game that they will have in order to be able to come back five days later and knowing that's around 90 to 100. And yeah, if, if a guy has a rough, rough time, just can't quite get guys out quick, then you need those four to five innings at the end of the game to be picked up by somebody. And yeah, that's uh, kind of where I come in. Take us through coming into the A's clubhouse right now from a standpoint of there's a lot of changes. There's been a lot of changes, a tremendous amount of different players. Yeah. You've got young players coming in establishing themselves. You're coming as a, as a young player. Yeah. Just what has it been like, how they welcomed you in? What is it like? Is it chaotic? Is it not? Just give us your point of view of what that clubhouse is like right now for a young player. Yeah, honestly, it was amazing. Like, all the guys are super cool. Um, Tony Kent and those guys, I kind of – those were the first people I met, and they were super welcoming and just awesome guys. And I was – you know, I kind of new to the organization, been here for two months, so didn't know too many guys at this level. And just having those guys welcome me was awesome. And then, yeah, we kind of just uh, go to work every day and – you know, the, occasionally somebody gets flipped out, but everybody's uh, super friendly. So it's been awesome. Out of Pepperdine, you weren't drafted by Baltimore because yeah. you you were you were in the Jonathan VR trade, right? I was. Who yeah. were you drafted by? I was drafted by the Marlins. Okay, uh, in so 2019. Talk us through you. So you got to see the building process inside the Orioles. Yeah, yeah. Just talk about how, where, when you got there, and what where they are now. Where probably you played with some of these guys yeah. to where they're a team to be reckoned with in the playoffs yeah i think uh they had a very distinct strategy where they were you know waiting for this year kind of to really make a push and they were kind of making sure all the guys that were in the minors were good and ready to go and they almost like held them in triple a and stacked up a you know batch of guys and then last year when adley got called up it kind of opened the floodgates and they've had those guys westberg and ortiz and Gunnar Henderson and all those guys are uh, just amazing players that, you know, they did a really good job of drafting and they did a good job of letting them flourish in their system. Um, and then as pitchers, they kind of have a philosophy that they would like you to fit into, but they don't really force you to do it. And if uh, you choose to kind of use what they give you, you can really do a lot for yourself. So. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm impressed with the fact that you can self-evaluate and you can come in your first interview here on A's Cast because this is where all the players come for the first time. Yeah. You understand strengths and weaknesses. You already understand what, before you even have an exit meeting, you already know what you need to work on yeah. going into next offseason. That is a bit, that is a skill because well, not everybody you. wants to 
Some people don't want to know, and they don't like to be told. I mean, you truly, hey, this is what I'm good at. This is what I need to work on. I'm impressed by that. That is a definite skill for a young player. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I got to know what I'm bad at so that I can work on it and fix it and then know what I'm good at so I can keep strengthening it and getting better. It's like my golf game. Now, there's certain <laughs> things where I'm like, I know, I just but, I need to get better at that. But, hey, thank yeah. you very much for coming on the program. Look forward to having you on a lot, and especially seeing you in uh, Arizona for spring training. Yeah, thank you very much. It's glad to be here. All right, A's Cast Dugout Chats with Jess continues with A's All-Star Brent Rooker. Brent, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. So here's the thing. Adding the, t the, the title All-Star to your name, what does that mean? Yeah, it's cool. Um, it's obviously something you dream about growing up. Um, it's something that once you get into pro ball and, and get closer to the big leagues, you realize how hard it is to achieve. Um, so it's something I'm really proud of and something I'll look back on um, with some pretty fond memories, um, pretty special experience you know, for the rest of my life. Tell me a little bit about your experience there, because I know you were excited to meet like the Shohei's of the world, but you got to take in all the extra stuff too. Obviously the game was important, we got to rock walk the red carpet. Tell me about some of the things that stood out. Yeah, um, you know, the thing that stood out to me the most, I think, was just kind of walking in the locker room, and, and I've said this, just kind of seeing all the jerseys hanging up, seeing all the guys who were there, guys I've been watching for years, trying to learn from, um, trying to emulate things that are swing or parts of their game that I want to, you know, um, improve on or get good at. So kind of walking in there and seeing my jersey hanging up amongst those guys was really, really cool. Um, and getting to hang out, you know, the home run derby, um, BP, all that stuff, just getting to talk to guys that you compete against but never really get to spend any time with is really cool and kind of talking about baseball from, from different perspectives and talking about, um, you know, things outside of baseball, too, and just kind of being guys and hanging out um, is, was a really fun time. Just dudes being dudes. Exactly. That's what it is. <laughs> you surpassed the 25 home run mark, and I overheard you saying that reaching that and then surpassing that was kind of a big deal. What's so important about reaching certain numbers like that? Yeah, I mean, before every year, you kind of have numbers in your head. You kind of set goals for yourself, and that was one of mine. Um, I thought 25 would be a good number for me. Um, for, uh, for a lot of reasons, right? That means that I perform well enough to be in the lineup consistently. Um, it means when I was in there, I produced. So that was kind of a big one for me, and being able to achieve goals you set for yourself is always fun, and it, it kind of what, what keeps us working hard and, and wanting, to, wanting to improve and get better. One goal that I thought was really cool is you were on one team this entire season. How does that add to your success and just your overall overview in, in playing the bigs? Yeah, being able to settle in, um, be comfortable in a routine, be comfortable in, in one place, not constantly moving. You know, I spent last year just kind of living um, from Airbnb to Airbnb, hotel to hotel, week to week, obviously changing teams three different times, going back and forth between two different levels um, throughout the whole season. Is, 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 there's a lot, of, a lot of variability and a lot of changes, so being able to kind of settle in, be comfortable here has been huge, and it's made me, you know, enjoy the year even more. Well, talk about like the extra stuff, like booking Airbnbs and all that stuff. It's stuff we don't really get to talk about. So that's like the extra stuff that we don't get to see. Yeah. Um, so last year, obviously, traded twice, um, and then option back and forth between both those teams I was on. So it seemed like kind of every week, every two weeks, I was trying to check into a new hotel. I was, you know, packing up my car, unpacking my car, moving into a new Airbnb for four days just to move out later and find a new one the next week. Um, you know, it's things like that that kind of wear on you. Um, and make the year, which is already tiring enough, um, makes it a little more tiring, a little bit more exhausting. So not having to deal with that this year and being able to settle in has been nice. Are you a master packer now? No, I'm terrible at it. I just throw stuff in a suitcase. I don't fold anything. Oh so God, it's got anxiety. Yeah. Just, just as much stuff as I can fit in a suitcase, fit it in there, and we'll figure it out later is kind of my goal. I literally hate that, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, so do you, do you just throw in and just pray for the best? Yeah, I mean, I'll unpack it and then just kind of move from place to place. I do better, I guess, now with obviously having a closet, being able to yeah. fold stuff, hang stuff up, and not just living out of a suitcase all year. I've gotten a little bit better, but for the most part, 
Um, when we go on road trips here, it's pretty neatly organized, um, pretty neatly packed. When we go and then on the way back, it's kind of a different story. That doesn't matter. Um, so I heard you talking recently on A's Cast. Obviously, you've dealt with a lot of ups and downs at the plate, but you said mentally you were working with the mental health, sco- the mental skills coach. Tell me a little bit about that because we just see you from a physical aspect. How does the mind work help you? Yeah, um, Ben does a great job. You know, we've worked through some stuff, whether it's breathing routines pregame to, to calm nerves and, and get yourself in a good mental space to go perform. Um, working through post-game routines, um, you know, holding on to successes you had during the game, and being able to quickly move on from anything you didn't do well, um, to kind of keep yourself in a in a in, in peak mental um, form to go out there and compete and and, and perform every night um, is tough. You know, those those long stretches of failures, long stretches of not having success, kind of wear on you and can and can have you start to doubt yourself. Can you can lose confidence? So, working through those things with him and being able to kind of do it on my own now, work through the processes we put in place and the um, routines we put in place has been huge for me. Is that something you can adopt off the field as well? Yeah, I think um, you know working through those things is, is applies to everyday life as well. Whether it's you now a rough day at home, whether you're just kind of going through some going through some things in your personal life, I think being able to kind of work through those things in the same way we do um, as athletes could be very, very beneficial. Let me walk you through this, the elements of a really good walk off for you: Gatorade back, Gatorade, Gatorade bath, walk off win, walk on to the stage and perform as Zach Bryan. You said it was probably terrible. You sounded terrible. Uh, the band definitely helped you there, but tell me about that night. Yeah, that was a special one. Obviously, a, re- a really big win for us. Um, walk-offs are always fun. Walk-off homers are even more fun. So being able to do that and, and then go you know, have a pretty special experience over there, something I didn't really envision happening ever um, You know, prior to that day, um, was really, really cool. And that night was, was definitely one I remember. I did the math, and by the math, I did a Google search. Zach Bryan has over 1 billion streams. How many of those are you responsible for? A lot. Um, I take pride, and I'm a little bit of a music snob in that you know, I've, been, I've been listening to him since he was pretty, pretty much strictly on YouTube in 2018 or 2019. Obviously, now he's selling out every arena in the country. So, um, you know, you have those musicians that you kind of follow from the beginning, and, you, and you're happy for their success, but at the same time, you're a little bit bitter because you like when you, when you were kind of the only one on them, and, and you kind of had that to yourself. But um, it's been really cool, obviously, being able to be able to get over there and do that. Um, but the success he's having now was was awesome. So you get to say like I knew him, you know, with his underground stuff or whatever the people are saying. Yeah, absolutely. I make sure everyone knows that too whenever whenever that comes up. Last one and another name drop, Shohei Otani. You were talking about when you were selected to the All Star team. You want to have him sign this photo of you taking him yard. Then I take a step back. You took Shohei Otani yard. What's the approach in facing a guy like that? I know you guys have to concentrate on the actual at bat, but do you change it up when it's a guy like Shohei Otani? Um, you know, no, you just kind of, with each guy, you're just looking at the pitch arsenal. You're trying to find, you know, what you think you're going to get, what you think you can hit, um, and what you need to look for in what areas to have the best chance to have success. So we had a good team approach that day. Um, I thought we had a good game plan, and, and several of us executed it. Um, you know, I, I got a pitch that I was looking for in a spot that I could handle and put a good swing on it, which... Um, you know, when, when I'm able to do that, some good things happen. So that was definitely a cool one, though. Um, obviously, you have all homers are good, all homers are cool, but you have a few to stand out in your mind, and that's one of them for, for me for sure. We still want Shohei to sign that, right? Yeah, we'll still work on that. We <laughs> talked about it at the All-Star game. We laughed about it, and obviously um, we'll see where, where he goes this offseason, but hopefully I'm playing against him for, for a long time now, and we can, we can work on that. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, guys. At the Coliseum with the man who made his major league debut at age 21, youngest battery along with Tyler Soderstrom for the Athletics. Since 1978, Joey Estes, you said you couldn't feel your legs, certainly the anticipation of that first start. And then maybe last night, still a lot of adrenaline thinking through that major league debut. What did you take away from that magical day? Uh, Man, I was just living in the moment. I just uh, doing everything I can to stay present. And, um, 
it was just it was a big day like I said um I can't really say much else about that just like I said living in the moment you had a bases loaded situation that yeah. you got out of uh the first couple of times through the order you had mm-hmm. a lot of success for the club mm-hmm. was the speed of the game what were you feeling about that and just getting you know the pitch calm and getting all those things going how was that going for you yeah yeah I mean I used pitch calm in AAA so like it wasn't like anything I wasn't used to but um I mean, just I was just kind of going through the motions and uh, just trusting everything that I worked really hard uh, for to get to this spot and just trusting my body just to do its thing. And uh, because, like I said, I couldn't feel my legs. So uh, I was just trusting it. Take me back to when you were traded from the Atlanta Braves to the Oakland Athletics mm-hmm. prior to last season. What what was going through your mind, Joey, as you thought about here's a young kid that suddenly my life has changed dramatically and it changed dramatically during spring training. Yes. Um, I mean, it, it was a big thing for me. I went into spring training, uh, like first two weeks I was with the Braves last two weeks, I was with the A's in spring training. So it was like right at the halfway point, but I went into spring training, like knowing everybody, um, you know, those first two weeks, super comfortable, excited to break camp with, uh, you know, my teammates that I got really close to. And then out of nowhere, boom, traded, you know? So, uh, it, it was a big change. I had to go, to the A's and meet a bunch of new faces, but you know, uh, there's great people in every organization, um, great people everywhere. So I was able to, you know, build a ton of relationships with uh, all these guys here. And it's been one of the best things that's ever happened in my life. Talking to the folks in development about your game, Joey, two things come to mind. They said high energy, which you have. And the one thing that they said is that you are, you are wise beyond your years in terms of having an idea pitching wise. You're only 21 and you're facing Julio Rodriguez and Eugenio Suarez. You're facing some pretty uh, top notch players. Where did that come from? How did that build your foundation? Uh, I mean, I'm not really worried about who's in the box. At the end of the day, it's still the same game. Um, I'm just uh, I'm just up there to compete. You know, like, like you said, uh, I, I want to make my team uh, give my team the best opportunity to win. Um, as possible and that's really what it all just comes down to for me uh just go out there and compete you saw the way this organization was moving this year a lot of movement on the major league level opportunities for guys coming quickly through the system how did you keep it inside you know if i just need to do my job and if they're going to tap me on the shoulder so be it and you got that opportunity how were you able to focus on the job at hand knowing that the possibility still might have been there yeah i mean it, it it's just controlling what I can control you know like I, I I just went out there and just pitched every game and if I got the call I got the call you know and when I did I was man I I was stoked you know like I I couldn't even I had no words but it it's it just being able to con- control what I can control out on the field and the rest will you know lay itself out Joey our crack research team leaves no stone unturned we have found out that you are an avid card collector so take me through that collection maybe the top two or three cards that come to mind in the joey estes card collection yeah yeah. i mean my cards just draw like just came out uh in in the recent you know bowman pack uh so like i I, my cards just started seeing online so i'm starting to like collect my cards more and more um but i mean my my best card my dad has a like a rare babe ruth card um uh, I, I even have a one of one like Tatis card. Uh, I, I have a good amount of collect, like collectible cards in in my stuff, but uh, it's it, my dad and um, I mean both my parents got me into collecting cards at a really young age. So I just I just stuck with it and and I still kind of do it now. Like whenever I have guys like 
on the team, like, and I know them, I'll, I'll have them like just sign a card because it's literally for my personal collection. One of our broadcast partners, Dallas Braden, who you know yeah. simply as a yeah. pitcher, mm -hmm. but he's an avid card collector. You guys can really exchange some information. That would be fun. Yeah, I actually did not know that. I, I got to talk to him about that then. So let's let's wrap this up with this yeah. with this, with this thought. You've gotten one under your belt. Mm -hmm. Certainly hoping in the last ten games of baseball there'll be another chance. What what have you learned? What do you see now that you finally got this chance? Thing you've been waiting for. Now I I want to stay in my routine mm -hmm. and show that I still can perform at this level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, this is just the beginning now, and uh, now it's uh, yesterday was day one. Now it's like time to you know go full speed at it and just do everything I can to. Uh, let this, uh, you know, br bring the best of me here to this organization and just keep on, uh, keep doing me, you know. That's Joey Estes, welcome to the Big Th Leagues. Thank keep you. it going. Thank you so much. I was trying to figure out the other day when I'm watching Joe Boyle warm up from our vantage point, trying to figure out what do I need to do to get to like the same height as him for this show. I couldn't figure it out. We're just going to. You're six set. I mean, yeah. You're, it's just it is what it is. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Well, I tell you what, we're as happy as hell to see you here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. And one of the reasons why is we heard so much about you when the trade came, and when we're going into the off season, this is the A's talk show. This is where all the A's fans hang out. We wanted to make sure that we got to see you pitch. So when we talk about you in the off season, because. We're projecting you to be a part of this team next year, the big leagues. Just what was it like for you to get that call that you've been traded to the Oakland Athletics, knowing that this place, as we say, is the land of opportunity? Um, I mean, it was pretty it's pretty crazy. Um, I, you know, when you're in baseball, like you, anything could happen. You expect that, you know, you could get traded and, you know, go anywhere. Like, it's just part of the game, part yeah. of the business. But it was – it was crazy. Like I, my farm director called me on an off day in, in Chattanooga, and he was like, yep, you got traded. Um, they're going to get in touch with you. Best of luck. And I was like, all right. And then uh, the next day I was on a flight to Midland. So, I mean, it was it was quick. There was, there was no wasted time. Best of luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you, when you know you're going to the A's, yeah. did you know, like, I got a legit shot to get to the big leagues really fast? Um, I, I was told that they generally move guys quickly um before i got here um that's all i had heard so i mean they didn't tell me anything ahead of time like hey you're gonna move quick or they didn't say anything like that um but i knew that like it's the same as it was with the reds like you throw well like i think you're gonna get you're gonna earn more opportunities so you get called to the big leagues you're gonna make your start take us through the process first start three innings was fantastic yeah take us through what was it like uh, it was great. Um, you know, they really, like, try to make it special for you on your your debut. At least for me, they did, and I was very fortunate and appreciative of that. I mean, I had family come out, like my fiance, and my parents. So I had a bunch of friends come out. Um, so that was good to see them afterwards. And, like, um, but, like, leading up to it, I mean, like, I just made sure to remind myself that it's, like, going to stick to what I've been doing and, and stick to my process. That's hard, though, right? It's, it's your first start in the big league. It's hard, but, I mean, that's the that's the challenge of the game we play, you know? Yeah. Like, we not, I mean, there's a reason, you know, not many people get here because uh, it is very hard, and I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity that I had, and I, I look to just keep earning opportunities as, as I go. Um, but, yeah. You look like you were confident, fastball cutter. We saw some curves. So just take us through your your repertoire and, and what 
what you think best to worst, what, what do you got, what are you most confident in? Um, I actually call it a slider instead of a cutter. Um, I, I think it can classify as both, but I call it a slider. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just four seam slider, curveball. Um, I guess I was, I was more slider heavy, I would say on Sunday. Um, but I, I made sure to like mix in everything in just to kind of just stick to, to my game plan. Um, yeah. So one thing that they talked about with you is throwing strikes. I saw you throw strikes in your debut. What, what, what do you think has been in the past with you in the minor leagues where you might have struggled throwing strikes? Uh, like, what do you think caused it? Is that the yeah. question? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think I've, it's a hard game. Um, obviously, I'm trying to throw strikes when I go yep. out there. I know that the name of the game is getting ahead of guys, attacking hitters, being in the zone consistently. Um, so it was just like a, it was a process. It was working on going out there with a plan, making making adjustments as the game goes on, self-regulating mentally, physically, um, and make you know and focusing on what I had to do versus like uh, trying to battle myself out there and. Um, you know, thinking about the wrong things. I think I was. I think the change that really helped me was being more intentional about what I would, what I was thinking about when I was out there. Um, I think that's really what helped me start to turn it around and put together more competitive performances and um, giving my team a chance to win more consistently. You're from Kentucky. We all know Kentucky horse racing and basketball. You're mm -hmm. six seven. How many people tried to push you into basketball and yet baseball was your love? All right. So I'm actually not from Kentucky. Okay. I was born in Philadelphia. Um, my parents born and raised in Philadelphia. I, my grandmother still lives there. My aunt and uncle and my cousins still live there. I moved to Louisville um, from St. Louis before my senior year of high school. So I was spent most of uh, grade school and high school in St. Louis, Missouri. Spent a uh, senior year in Louisville. And then um, when I was at Notre Dame, my mom and my, or my parents were still living there. So I'd go back to, you know, during winter okay. break and stuff like that. So I'd, I was never pushed towards basketball. I mean, I was because I was tall, but yeah. not like everybody. When you're tall, it's like you got to play hoops. You got to. Yeah. Hoops. Everyone was like, yeah, you want to come play basketball? And <laughs> yeah. I was like, power forward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was like, now nah, I'm just baseball. I'm just baseball. So did you grow up? Like an Eagles? Eagles fan, yeah. Okay, so my dad's you, a huge Eagles are fan. Are you all Philly? Yeah, I'm all Philly. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. you, the St. Louis Rams would have still been there when you were growing up. Yeah, um, yeah they left when I was there. They left when I was still so in St. Louis. So Cardinals, think, yeah. Rams, but you, you're more Sixers, Eagles, Phillies kind of guy. Yeah, I grew up, yeah, I grew okay. up a Philly fan, yeah. Well, Notre Dame right now. Notre Dame football yeah. back? Notre, is Notre Dame football back? Big game against Ohio State. I, I sure hope so. I mean, like... Uh, We'll see. You know, we'll see this weekend. But um, I'm excited with what they got and, uh, you know, how they've been playing. And, uh, it, I mean, it's just cool to be able to root for, like, a, like a university like that who I guess really every year they try to be competitive and win football games. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they got. It's Notre Dame. Man. I mean, Notre Dame's its yeah. own national brand. I mean, oh, yeah, 100%. not only is the education top notch, but obviously what they've done for all these years. We've always seen Notre Dame come out with us playing SC or Stanford. Right. Uh, I've had family go to Notre Dame. It's a big deal. It's Notre Dame, yeah, right? It's yeah. an iconic college. But you don't think Notre Dame baseball, but Notre Dame baseball over the years has gotten far better. Talk about yeah. what baseball has been like improving for the Irish. You know, it was uh, it was cool to see the progression of Notre Dame baseball. They really didn't start to excel until after I was gone. I was drafted the COVID year, which was the first year for uh, the new coach, Link Jarrett, who took over after um, my sophomore year. And – 
uh, I, so, I got to see them go to the you know, Super Regionals yeah. in 21, and then 22 they went to Omaha. So that was really cool to see that program like win. I had a lot of buddies still on the team, and it was cool to see them make it far. And like I know that like um, there's so many guys I played with in the past that were rooting for them, and, and it was exciting. It was exciting to watch that. I didn't realize you were the 2020 draft. I thought it was yeah. before then. Yeah, no, I was you, Oh, you've had... I, it's hard to explain to people, but your guys' journey is different than anybody that's ever... Because remember, they condensed the draft. Mm-hmm. It was only, what, 20 rounds? It's five rounds. Five rounds, yeah. yeah. And then they they were able to sign a bunch of people, but you could only sign for a certain amount. Right. Just, just, And then you didn't have really... Did you go to the alternate site? No, I didn't do anything. I got drafted and... Didn't play. I didn't play. I didn't I didn't show up until February of, of 2021. And I just, like, was playing catch in a park with my brother. Um, everything was, like, obviously it was COVID. Everything was shut yeah. down. Um, so I was, like, I was kind of on my own. Like, the Reds were good with, like, communicating with us, like, and, like, pitching coaches reaching out, strength coaches. But, like, it was interesting. It was an interesting start to, like, my pro career. Well, the most interesting was... Garrett Cole's wife was a great, uh, great player, softball player at UCLA, oh, yeah. and the uh, the video of Garrett Cole and his wife was pregnant playing catch in the park together. Just told you about the madness yeah. of everything going on. So, some guys I've talked to, you know, when you got a lot of wear and tear and a lot of mileage, some guys had as amateur players yeah. that maybe not pitching in 2020 wasn't so bad. It allowed you to kind of get healthy. Where were you on that where you, you you get drafted and then you got timed? Were you able to utilize it, get a little more healthy? Uh, there's a lot of negative to it. Was there any positive to it? I would say the positive was probably more off the field, like just like spending time with family more. Um, I would like I think that was probably better because like I know that if it was a normal year, I would have went right from the college season to probably short season yeah. and then probably to instructs and it would have just been crazy. So I had that time to be with family and like I wasn't in school anymore. Um, in terms of baseball, it was tough. Like you tried to, you, like you did your best to work on stuff, but like in reality, you don't know, you don't know what you need to work on until you show up, you pitch you, and the game kind of instructs you and teaches you like um, kind of how you need to evolve to, to get these better hitters out. Um, so it was, it was, that part was tough, but you did your, I did my best, you know, like I worked out and like through bullpens and sent video and data and stuff like that. So, um, it wasn't ideal, but made the most of it. Are you getting another start before the season ends? I am scheduled to pitch on Saturday. That's what I've been told. Okay. So what do you think? Let's end on this. Cause we know you got to go. Um, what do you think it means to you? These two starts and then you head to the offseason knowing that you've been in the big leagues and now you can train as a guy that has been here before. Um, I think I'm excited that I get the opportunity to pitch against, obviously, the best hitters on the planet, arguably. Um, I, I think that the game will instruct me. It'll tell me, you know, what – what works, what doesn't. I have an idea. You know, everyone has an idea of what plays, what plays up, what scales up to the big leagues. Um, but this is just a good chance to test it, to go out there and test my process against these, you know, a great, you know, great lineups and um, learn, like, what do I need to work on? What small adjustments do I need to make um, going into the offseason? But, you know, the offseason to offseason doesn't, I feel like for me doesn't really change a ton. You know, I have my process. I know what I need to keep working on. Um, I'm never going to be perfect. 
but it's always that like pursuit of like getting close to like being you know as close to perfect as possible well, i gotta tell you i'm excited because yeah. now we've gotten to talk to you we're gonna get to watch you pitch we can talk about what's gonna happen we're gonna see you down at spring training but just congratulations on getting here i know what that means to you thank you and good luck the rest of the way and we will see you next time we see you We'll probably be down in Mesa, Arizona for spring training as you're trying to make the big club. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. Lawrence Butler is with us here on A's Cast Live. You know, they're telling us, they're like, yeah, pitchers are going to be in meetings. What do you think about Lawrence Butler? Like, hell yes, bring up Lawrence Butler. Always. How are you? Chris on the A's Cast. How are we doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing amazing. I'm doing amazing. So what has changed since the last time we have talked to you? You've gotten way more at-bats, way more games. What's different? Uh, you know, just, just the grind of being in the big leagues, you know, you go out there facing the best of the best every day, no breaks, you know, every pitcher's here for a reason, every position player is here for a reason. So, you know, just, just getting the mental, um, prepared, you know, to go out there and just compete every day. Have you noticed from the time you've shown up to where you are now, how different they attack you? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they were kind of going. They were kind of going, like, away at first, start hitting them away. Then they go in, then I start hitting them in, and then they go away. So they're, they're basically just, they're, you know, they're just trying to find a hole in the swing every every time I step to the plate. So, you know, but it's my job to be a pro and find out what the adjustment is and make that adjustment so I can be me. Yeah, we were just talking with David Feldman, who does a lot of television. He's also our A's historian. And he was, he was saying, you know, ask Law about how, Hard it is to square up big league pitchers. Like yeah. it's one thing to survive, but what? How hard is it to really get that great contact and drive the ball off these guys who are trying to go after your weaknesses? Yeah, I mean it, it's not an easy task. Like I mean I don't know if you guys seen the Deion Sanders interview, but he said hitting the baseball is yeah. the hardest thing to do. So I mean, especially when you got guys throwing ninety six with crazy movement, you know balls going different ways changing up speeds, playing with different pitches. So, you know, it's, it's not easy, but, I mean, I'm here for a reason, so I believe I can do it. How's it going for you defensively? I'm having a lot of fun on defense. You know, I'm working with um, with um, Aldo, Bushy, you know, asking cops things, you know, just trying to get better every day. You know, I'm getting more comfortable out there in center. So, I mean, I want to be the big league center fielder every day next year for the A's, so I'm just constantly working. And we want you to be the big league center fielder for the end. We talk about it on this show. I talk about it on the postgame show, taking the phone calls with the fans. Uh, everybody is very excited about you, especially in center field. I got to tell you, yesterday coming off the field, I've gotten to know Ryan Noda. Uh, it's going to be announced here. I, I'm not trying to break news because Mark Kotze told us earlier he got the Catfish Hunter Award. Yes, he did. And that's a big deal for a rookie to be a Rule 5 guy to get that. But I said to Noda, I said, you know – I want you guys to get tired of losing. I want you guys to get tired of what's been happening. I want you to get angry about it so it doesn't happen next year. And I want you guys to understand that this clubhouse is now your clubhouse. When we're talking about you, Geloff, Noda, are you getting that sense? This is becoming your franchise. Yeah. Shout out to Noda. He was the only rookie to ever win that award, mm-hmm. too. So shout out to him. And I mean, yeah, me, me Noda. So, um, and Zach talk about that all day, every day. We're in the clubhouse where we're chopping it up with Brownie and Kemp and just like, you know, we're tired of it. You know, we're, we're losing. I mean, everybody sees we're losing. It's kind of embarrassing. It's not a great feeling. Like we don't go in the clubhouse after a loss and just joke around. We're, we're pissed. So, I mean, we're, we're coming next year with a different mindset, a different attitude, you know, like we're going to make teams just 
see us differently. We're not the same team we were last year or this year. Like we're we're coming back next year with with some vengeance. So I'm I'm really excited for next year. I'm really excited. This question really is for you at the end of the season, but you guys are going to be on the road, so we're not going to be able to talk to you. So just Anaheim, it's done. You're leaving from LA. You're probably going back to Atlanta. You're going back to Georgia. What do you think are the number one things you've got to work on so you can be that number one guy in center field next year? Um, you know, I got a great, great mentor and great group of guys around me training. So I'm going to go back. Marquise Grissom. Grissom. Shout out to Marquise. Great player. So I'm going to go there, just work with him, you know, just ask, ask some of the um, guys in the um, weight room about the, you know, metrics and how can I get better jumps? How can I get better routes? So, you know, always trying to get my arms stronger, you know, so I'm really just going off season, really work hard and, you know, just really hone in on, on the things, what it, like it really takes to be a gold glove big leaguer every day. I don't want to just be a big leaguer and center every day. I want to be a gold glove big leaguer and center every day. So that's what I'm really locked in and off season about. You want to be the best. I want to be the greatest. The that's greatest. what I'm talking about. Now, when we start talking about how you get better, up here, have you been able to use video more? Is there anything that they've been able to give you data-wise, video-wise to help you? What have you learned since you've been up here with technology? Um, see, so TK has really been teaching me how to use them iPads. They're very difficult. I know I'm young and I should know how to use them, but it's a lot of buttons. But, I mean, TK always helps me. If it's a play, like, I feel like I could have done something on If I, like, I could have got a better jump, I could have dove or, like, threw it to a different base. He's always the first one on the bench, pulled the play up. You know, we're going through it together. So next time I have that play, even during the game, I can, you know, handle the situation better. So, I mean, the video, the iPad is always useful. You know, always can see what you're doing on the field, like in live time. So I like it a lot. What is the best part for you being in the big leagues? What's the best part about being here? Other than being on Ace Cast Live. <laughs> Ace Cast is number one. But I have to say second is just, you know, just – just playing against guys and playing in, in big league stadiums that you dream of as a little kid. Like, we're playing against Miguel Cabrera right now. Like, yeah. that's a Hall of Famer, 3,000 hits. I mean, what a career. Like, that's a, like when I'm looking at him in the box, I'm like, dang, like, that's that's who I want to be in 20 years or something like that. So Kind of crazy, yeah, right? you got to like, play a long time. Exactly. Well, that's the thing. It's like for you guys that come up and you played certain players on video games and you've watched them for years and all of a sudden, I'm playing against exactly. this guy. Like, I'm, like, I remember I um, – we were in Seattle, and, like, I always watch Goldsmith play with him on the game. I mean, not Seattle, St. Louis, and I always watch Goldsmith play on the game. And he's just like, hey, bro, I like your swing. You know, that that means something to me because, yeah. like, I mean, that's a guy I've watched growing up. You know, he's pretty cool, and for him to say that, that, that means a lot. I remember being in Japan and getting in the elevator with Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. And I was like, it's Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? you, kind, you kind of freeze for a little minute. You're like, wow. And I, and I wanted to say – Dude, I was just by your statue out front of Safeco or T-Mobile, whatever. It's Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, nah, those moments are those moments are some some cool surreal moments to have. You know, just being in the big leagues and you know just being around the type of guys we're around. You know, learning the knowledge they they've learned over their years and just passing it down to us. So, like in the future, we can do the same for the next generation. So that's pretty cool. All right, I've talked to Note about this. I've talked to Alan about this. I've talked to Geloff about this. We'll end on this. We want to talk to you during the offseason. We want to know what's going on. In years past, players went away. We'd see it some type of fan fest or spring training. I don't know if it's November, December, January. We want to just check in at some point. We're, we're going to call you and just check in to see how you're for doing. Sure, How's everything for sure. going? For sure. I love that. I always love coming on Ace Cast with you, Chris. You know, it's amazing. 
um, which I got going on right here. So I, I love to answer the phone for you guys. Well, I'll tell you what, we view you as one of the pillars of what we're going to build this foundation on. Yes, sir. And so yes, sir. Uh, thank you for everything that you've done so far for us. Have a great off season and uh, good luck train. Yeah. Cause as you said, you want to be the best. We got a feeling and we believe in you and can't wait. really can't wait for next year. You guys yeah. are going to be a, Far better team next year. You, been, that's all we talk about, isn't it? Like, we're just trying to finish this year strong, and we're coming back different next year. We're coming back different. Shay Lang Aliers is with us. And uh, how are you? It's been a while. Yeah, uh, doing good. Doing good. Right now, things look like they're going real well for you. How are you feeling right now? Just not from the catching standpoint, but offensively, how you feel in the box? Yeah, um, you know, I've been feeling pretty good lately. Um, you know, just honestly, just trying to keep it simple, um, get good pitches to hit, put good swings on them, and, uh, you know, just consistently be on time. Ever since, ever since we met you, I know you're always team and talk about other people, but what did it mean to you? There's certain numbers that matter in our game. 20 home runs matters. What did that mean? Yeah, um, obviously it was pretty cool. Um, I can't remember who I was talking to the other day, but they said the last catcher to hit 20 homers for the, for the A's was Ramon Hernandez. So. Do you know the other two? Uh, I do not. I just know that uh, Ramon, they said Ramon was the last one to do it, and obviously I've been working with Ramon every day, so that's yeah. pretty cool. So Terry Steinbach did it back in the days when, okay. when the A's were uh, won the World Series in 1989. He was an all-star. And then the great Gene Tennis, okay. who won three World Series titles. We just put him into the uh, A's Hall of Fame. That's the group you're joining. <laughs> so you got Tennis won three World Series. Steinbach was an all-star MVP, won a World Series, and of course Ramon with a great career. Yeah, that that that's pretty heady company you joined. Yeah, to uh, to be listed alongside those names is pretty cool. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about how tough this season has been for you, kind of unfair. I mean, so many different pitchers because you need to know everything about these guys. You need to know what makes them comfortable. You need to know what makes them tick. You need to know what they're good at when the pressure's on. Right? You need to. And that's a lot of it from starters to relievers. What What's this season been like? Because you also got to know the other team, too. Yeah. A lot of studying. What's it been like so many different pitchers? Yeah, um, obviously it's a lot. There's a lot of information in the game today. So, um, you know, just trying to take all that in and, you know, continually continuously get better every day. And like you said, it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of pitchers, a lot of new faces, um, just getting to know those guys and, you know, just keep building. Um, baseball's a really tough game, but um, – you know, the more we work together, the better we're going to get. What do you think you have truly gotten better at from where you were last year, spring training, start of the season, to where you are now at the end of your first full season? I think, um, obviously, uh, offensively, it's always going to fluctuate. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. But I think um, this year really, you know, kind of adjusted to the league as the league's adjusting to me and kind of starting to figure that out and be more consistent. Um, defensively, I think uh, the, the biggest thing this year was, you know, game calling and managing a pitching staff and learning how to operate through that, through, you know, like the, the tense situations, the, the high leverage situations and, and uh, towards the end of the game and just kind of navigating that. Now, throwing guys out, you've been second to none in baseball. We knew going into the season, right, the new rules, we're going to challenge you, right? We're going to challenge all the catchers, pitchers, how fast they can get to home plate. You've thrown out a ton of guys. Have you loved bringing this part of the game back? Um, yeah, it's always it's kind of a mentality for me, um, you know, almost like wanting guys to try and run uh, just because I know if I – if I do my job, put a good throw or make a good throw, we got a good chance to get an out. Um, and, you know, that's saving saving bullets for the pitchers. It's 
um, getting us more outs and getting us closer to the end of the game. Let's talk about some guys that you catch. What's it like catching Mason Miller? Yeah, uh, obviously it's electric. Um, fastball's up to 103. Uh, he's, you know, his secondary stuff's getting better and better. And um, he's just, he's one of the, he's got the mentality. He knows what he wants to do out there. He doesn't second guess anything and he, he's out there to attack. So what is it like? Because we know anything 90 plus gets on hitters pretty fast, right? But we're now talking 102, 103. So for a hitter, I don't know how they time it. For a catcher, how fast does like 102 get on you? Yeah, you know, um, you know, you, you, when we catch as much as we do, it's it's nothing crazy. Uh, I will say, uh, when you when you start getting north of like um, 97, 98, it's when uh, the mislocations start to. Uh, that's when the ball, it's harder to make the balls look good because the ball's coming in so fast. So, um, but I mean, for for Mason, that's not really an issue. It's it's honestly a lot of fun to catch when he's running those numbers up there. How about this big six seven Joe Boyle guy? Yeah. Another guy, electric stuff. Uh, fastball was awesome. The, the command of the secondary stuff was really good the other day. Um, you know, really, really excited to keep working with him. You know, J.P. Sears, we've talked a lot with him ever since he's come over from the Yankees. We've always kind of liked his mentality. He's from the Citadel. He's kind of got that regimented military kind of background. Uh, I'm so happy for him to get 30 starts, to go through that entire season, to struggle really in August and come on strong here in September. I know it wasn't the outing you wanted yesterday, but just just how proud are you of him? I mean, we don't see a lot of guys get 30 starts in a season. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's amazing. He's... Uh, you know, he's, he's durable. He's going to go every five days. You hand him the ball, he's going to go out there. He's going to give you everything he's got. Um, you know, he, he's another guy. He's got the mentality. He's not scared. He's out there. He knows what he wants to do. He's attacking the strike zone, and, and he's giving you everything he's got every five days. And to watch Trevor May go through what he went through early, just talk about what, as a veteran and inspiration, what he's meant to you guys. Because the catchers, people need to know, the catchers and the pitchers, you're, you're, you're in your groups. Yeah. Um, you know, Trevor, Trevor was a huge part and, you know, my, my learning curve as a catcher, um, from the beginning of the season, he'd come up, he'd grab me, he'd talk to me about, um, you know, scouting reports or, you know, when to, when to make a mound visit, stuff like that. And just kind of being more attentive to that kind of stuff. And, you know, now in games, it's kind of like, I'm looking for the spot. Like, when do I need to make a visit? When do I need to make a visit? When do I need to go out there? Um, when do I need to go talk to my guy? How do I talk to him? Stuff like that. And Trevor's played a huge part. All right, a little bit later here on the show, we talked to Stephen Vogt earlier today. And Voter talking about going from catching, and he, he was like kind of a coach last year, but now going full-time. It's a really interesting conversation we have with him at 430. But when you think of Stephen Vogt, what did he do for you and your the early part now of your career? Uh, I mean... Yeah, just getting a little, getting to know him when we were over in Atlanta together, and then coming over here and getting to play with him. Um, huge mentor for me. Uh, I mean, he's just obviously an amazing baseball player, even better person. Um, how he handles himself, uh, you know, day in day out. It's just like he's kind of the model of what you aspire to become. And um, you know, I've looked up to him ever since I met him, and, and whenever he talks, I'm I'm all ears. Yeah, you know, I I think about I was a pitcher, infielder. And I try and tell everybody, there's one major difference about a catcher. You're the only position that everybody's looking at you, yeah. and you're looking at everybody else. People don't really think about that. It's kind of like why we look at catchers as the quarterback of the team, the quarterback of the defense. You call the defenses. You call the pitches. Just talk about and just kind of give everybody an idea out there. What is that like when the game, everything's looking at you? 
Yeah, um, you know, it's the, the only position on the field other than the, other than the pitcher that's involved in every pitch. Um, uh, you know, you're just you're thinking through every outcome, um, what's what's going to happen, what could happen, all that all that types of stuff. Um, the way the defense is uh, playing against a certain hitter can, you know, change how you try to pitch the guy. Um, it's you know, there's like I said, there's a lot of information in this game. Um, it's kind of cycling that in and out. Uh, take what you need and then kind of not disregard, but like kind of uh, look past what you don't need. And um, like I say, yeah, it's it's. Uh, kind of a, a, a cool thought to have. I haven't I hadn't really thought about it like that. Everybody's looking at me and I'm looking at everybody else. But yeah, I'm the only position on the field that kind of sees what everything else is happening. Uh, tonight, I want you to think about it. Are you are you starting tonight? Yeah. I want you to get out there and I want you to go, you know what, early on A's Cast Live, I was asked. And I want you to look out and go, everybody's looking at me. All the fans are looking at me. All the players are looking at me. It's the only position. Yeah. I want you to think about that tonight. <laughs> All right, I will. And then you know what, point up to us and go, you know what, I didn't yeah, think. Yeah. It is. A, I used to talk to Ray Fossey about this all the time. Um, the offseason, I think what's so huge, and we'll end on this, is playing a full year, now you're going to know what that's like. Mm -hmm. What do you think this off offseason, yeah, obviously you got to train your body and everything, but what do you think the offseason will be like mentally of how you need to get ready physically, maybe even more importantly mentally, now you know what it's like to play a full season? Yeah, I think going into this offseason is just more awareness, like what you're talking about. I just um, know what to expect coming in, coming into the year, know, know what to expect coming into spring training, um, know what it takes to handle pitching staff, call games, um, and while doing that also perform offensively. So um, kind of getting that full year experience, it's like it's just uh, a stepping stone to keep building on and build momentum into next year. Well, you do need, you do need to disconnect. Get a nice you got a trip planned, you got any? <laughs> You got I, any plans? I think, yeah, I think me and my wife are going to go to Europe this offseason. Uh, nice. Uh, for 10 days or so and go see London, uh, Rome, Paris. So it should be fun. Enjoy, because before you know it, bang, rubber bike back <laughs> at it and it's spring training. Yeah. Well, it's been fun to watch you grow. I talk about it all the time on this show and the postgame show with the callers that we're building pillars right now. You got to get the pillars before you build the house. You're definitely one of the pillars. Appreciate and look that. forward to watching you grow and helping us get back to the postseason like where the Mariners are right now. Yep. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.